Shields up, Ironbreakers. Rurikon here coming at you with another episode of the Cons Cast. As you can see today, I am here with Ratatosker. How are you doing, Ratatosker? I'm doing excellent after yesterday. <laughs> doing real good. <laughs> I bet you are. There were a lot of things happening yesterday, a lot of stuff happening in the gaming industry as a whole pretty much over the just like 2024 has been absolutely phenomenal from a gaming standpoint i feel like i think it's better than last year i think it's already better than last year i, I know that sounds like a, a big statement but for like the things that i care about like it's all it's all coming and it's all coming at a decent time period you know it's not all flooding me at once in august like it was in 2023 uh, uh, you got you got nice space between everything you know i got helldivers 2 and then i got uh, final fantasy a month later and then you got dragon's dogma a month later and then you have uh uh the elden ring dlc sometime in june june 21st so it's good yeah. i'm happy it's, it's absolutely fantastic like I'm, I'm just curious how do you feel whenever you see a lot of these videos that are permeating the algorithm and you see people talking about on Twitter about, oh my God, it's the end of gaming. Everything is so bad. It's so bad all around. Good God. I, back in the good old days is when things were really good. Now it's all doom and gloom. I think they have a point if they're talking about mainstream AAA titles that that like if you're just playing call of duty and maybe fortnite and other things that have if you're if you're a, if you're a destiny fan then i could see <laughs> <laughs> why you would think that and if you're if you're exclusively playing uh bad games that take advantage of you and try and monetize and squeeze every penny out of you then i, I could see how you're doing that but um no i think gaming is doing really well when it comes to niche niches uh niches because you 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 have access to high quality big titles um like something like helldivers 2 or or elden ring that you can go and play those that are just that that are just good but they're they're large games and there's also large amounts of room for all the different indie games independent games you could even consider something like baldur's gate 3 um more independent than the normal since they are an independent studio they're not funded by anybody they they cough up all their own money so it's like, no, there's there's room for a lot of good stuff. You're just not looking. You're not looking. <laughs> yeah, it's just people just want to play the same game over and over and over again. And they're like, no, this is my forever game. I need to play this forever. And then, you know, they just neglect to look around them. Like, I've, I've seen so many people that are obsessed with, like, Suicide Squad killed the Justice League. And I was like, bro, what? I don't even care. That game was bad. Okay, well, too bad. It's it's okay. I, I didn't have time to play it anyway. There's so many other good things coming out. Like, let's look at some of the good stuff as well. But I do think it's important, you know, people calling out some of the bad things in the industry. It just kind of sucks that the algorithm doesn't really bring the more positive stuff to the top as well to counterbalance all of these other things. Like, I feel like if somebody outside of gaming joins the gaming discourse in 2024 they're like oh my god this industry is in shambles because that's all the algorithm kind of like pushes up but the reality is completely different we've we've rarely had it this good i feel like and i i just want to emphasize that at the start because i feel like that is very important for people to understand yeah i agree so um 
Today's podcast is going to have mainly two topics. We're going to be talking about Elden Ring since there was an announcement uh, yesterday, but the original uh, reason why we scheduled this podcast was actually, hey, we, we need to talk about Helldivers 2. But uh, <laughs> naturally, since then, uh, From Software came out and just decided, hey, you know what? We're going to release a trailer tomorrow. And I was like, damn, okay. <laughs> that's cool looks like zeo storm doesn't have to be depressed anymore thank god for that <laughs> I, I need to see if i can convince him to do a podcast so i haven't spoken with him on discord or anything but i need to see because i, I want to talk to him about it as well i i, I want to hear his point of view on this but it'll it'll be interesting it'll be interesting but i'm just happy that zeo storm doesn't have to be depressed anymore like you he, he was going through some dark times like <laughs> coping with the lack of the the announcement for the dlc so we had the announcement yesterday that was like a, it was interesting to see a stream that had a 30 minute countdown timer for the actual trailer. It's almost as if everybody started stealing the thing that I Your started idea. doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't want to like take complete claim of that. Like, I don't know if anybody did it before me, but like, I feel like I kind of like popularized that strategy of being online much longer ahead of announcements. And you were online even longer than they were, weren't you? Yeah. <laughs> how, how, how earlier was your stream? I'm curious. It was, it was, it was only like, I figured it would be 30 minutes. Uh, and I, I saw that part where it said that. And I was like, all right, I'm going to be there 15 minutes ahead of time. I really should have done it longer. I could have gone an hour before, before or two hours before. <laughs> People love yeah. sitting there in chat and talking about the thing. They don't even need you. Don't they? Don't need you to do anything else. They don't need you to go do some gameplay. They don't need you to to uh, to pull up other videos unless it's related to the thing that you're waiting on. Uh, they just want you to sit there and talk about how excited you are about what what's upcoming because that's what they're there for. Here's the interesting thing: whenever it comes to these events, usually when the event itself starts. A lot of people just leave. Like they're just there for the hype before the <laughs> event, which I think is hilarious. But it's it it is something, and I think it's really cool. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to do it this time because I also wanted to see the Nintendo presentation, which was mm -hmm. kind of like a big nothing burger, with the exception that uh, Monster Hunter Stories uh, One is coming out on the Switch, at least for my taste in games and whatnot. Other than that, there wasn't really anything else uh, revealed there. But yeah, so. There was one thing um, I, I don't I don't think you're you'd be interested in it, but uh, Shin Megami Tensei Five is getting like a re-release, and they're doing yeah. a new story with that. And, and you, I guess you'll have the option to choose between the new story or the old story. And I'm like, that's actually very interesting because the old story sucked. That was the one complaint that I had for Shin Megami Tensei Five. Uh, I'm a big Shin Megami Tensei fan, and I just thought the story of Five was awful, like literally the worst I've seen from that series. And so it's a novel idea, I think, where they're like, you know what? Let's just re-release the game, charge money for it, and then just change, let's just change the story. Just change the story. <laughs> Wait, so the story is, I, I thought that the version that was coming out, uh, it's Shin Megami Tensei Five Vengeance. I thought yeah. that that was essentially kind of like a Monster like, Hunter Ultimate Edition. No, it's like, um, so... You know, you know, Persona Five and and Royal. Royal, so yeah. They have Ro yeah. So I thought it was going to be like that. Yeah, but exactly. But then I read, I thought it was going to be uh, along those lines. But then I read it, and apparently, you have to choose at the beginning of the game if you're going through the original story or you're going through the Vengeance version of the story. And events are very different in the Vengeance version. It, it's about like finding Lilith, and it's it's a it's its own thing. It will probably have 
connections. I mean, it'll probably still follow a lot of the same plot, but it's different enough that you have to pick at the beginning which one you're doing. So, you know, if, if it's making you do that choice, I thought it, you know, it has to be a little different. Also, let me just tell you something. That game is extremely brave. They are very, br or maybe they weren't aware. They probably weren't aware at the time. They're just like, oh yeah, we're releasing on the 21st of June. Oh yeah, they didn't know. Nobody, <laughs> nobody knew. Miyazaki is like, that's that's real interesting that you guys are releasing on the twenty first of June. It'd be a shame. <laughs> I, th I think there's another uh, Souls like that is coming out around then. I think actually two Souls likes, if I'm not mistaken, because I've seen the memes on Twitter earlier this morning, where there's the Enotria, um, the last song, which that's a Souls like. Mm -hmm. It's coming out on the twenty first of June, and then that uh, Crab Souls game. That's a crab with like a, a thing in his back and that's going to play like a Souls-like. That's well, they also better move. <laughs> They better move. My recommendation <laughs> is move, dude. Like, listen, <laughs> when the Miyazaki train is coming, that train doesn't have any stops, okay? It's not stopping. You guys better yeah, move. You're going you're to get destroyed just like friggin' Forbidden West. Horizon, poor, yeah. poor Forbidden West. <laughs> poor one not for Horizon. Jesus Christ. But yeah. And they're they're also like doing the re-release on Dragon's Dogma's release date, which is I was like, Jesus, you just keep doing it. What do you mean re-release on Dragon's Dogma date? Uh, Dragon's Dogma comes out on the 22nd, I think, and Horizon is doing like a re-release of Forbidden oh, West yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, on yeah, the yeah. 21st. True. Yeah, good job. So it's always that, next I, I actually, to some big open world game that they have, they have to do it. I actually tweeted about that. I was like, you're doing it to yourselves at this point, all right? Like, what are you, what are you doing? You're going you're gonna to come out with a game on PC and then you're going to say, see, nobody cares about PC games. Like, no, bro, no, that's not the reason, all right? You're the <laughs> architects of your own demise. But yeah, so the 21st of June date, that was very good. Like, I was super happy about it. I was like, this gives me enough time to do all of the other things that I want to do. I was so scared that that game was going to land on top of Dragon's Dogma. Dragon's Dogma. Too. I was sure. I was sure. I was. I was terrified. Dude, Dude pe people in my people in my tweets just jumping in there and saying like, "Oh, it's gonna come out in March." Yeah, you're screwed. I was like, "Damn, thanks." <laughs> like, I appreciate you for that. Jesus Christ. People like getting just like really. No, it's gonna come out in March. No, it's gonna come out on the 25th of February on the on the um, anniversary. And I was like. Dude, are they going to really put out a trailer for a game that's coming out in two days? Like, do you think no. that makes sense from a marketing standpoint? Do you understand how marketing works? And their marketing has been unusual, but it's not that crazy and unusual. Yeah. There's no way. So I figured that one of the first things that we should talk about when it comes to this, I mean, naturally, the, the, the date is very, very good, I think, for both of us and for other content creators that hope to cover Dragon's Dogma 2. I think they'll also be having a better time with this particular date than anything else. But I think one of the first things is the price point. So this mm. is going to cost $39. And I've already heard from a lot of people on social media, they're like, it's way too expensive. And it's like, bro, bro, what, what, no, what are not. we going to do with these people? Well, what do we do with these people, dude? Like, what the hell? These are probably the same people that are buying, like, random microtransactions in their Call of Duty games or whatever they were talking about earlier. And now they're coming in here and going, like, this DLC is too expensive. Uh-uh, we can't have that. It's like... Ugh. Somebody in my comments in the v videos that I made recently on Shadow of the Earth Tree was, like, uh, $40 for uh, a overlaid 
you know, map, same map, basically. Because I guess they heard the term Shadowland and they assumed that it was just the same area with, you know, some minor differences. And I'm just like, did you look at the trailer? Like, that is not the same area. Those are not yeah. the same buildings. That's not, you've never seen anything like that. This is not the same spot. I've seen, I've seen, I was uh, doing a lot of research today and seeing like uh, people's reaction to the videos and their takeaway. There are a surprising number of people that are going through the trailer frame by frame and trying to identify the area of the trailer that the character is in and well, they can name a, an area in the actual game right now and being like, ah, this is uh, that area. This is the other. I was like, I don't think so. This isn't Tears of the Kingdom. Like it's not. It's not the same map oh, as the previous game. Damn. <laughs> someone, someone in my comment section was like, uh, "See, from Software, their their DLC is forty dollars, but Zelda's DLC is seventy. You know where you should put your money." Damn the savagery, <laughs> the absolute savagery. I I I don't want people to disrespect Tears of the Kingdom. I love that game. That game I like. I like Tears of, of the Kingdom. It's a, yeah. yeah. It's just it's just a funny joke. Yeah, but like the I think that the forty dollar price point. I think it's fine if you are going to get a significant amount of content for it. And one of the things that you pointed out in your own video was that they've started moving away from the language of DLC. Mm -hmm. They're not calling it a DLC. They're calling it an expansion, which is definitely mm -hmm. something much more akin to the expansions of old that we used to have with, with games, which to me, if that's what you're going to do, then I think the price point is more than justified. Like we're talking about a massive area supposedly as big uh no bigger potentially even than limgrave and limgrave mm -hmm. is friggin massive like i spent so much time in limgrave i spent no less than like probably 20 hours probably a lot more in limgrave yeah. first playthrough yeah and, and and the thing is it's not even just a limgrave it's a, a limgrave that is more densely packed so like uh, i got an excerpt here i think that this was from the ign interview where they were saying speaking of this new land that we're traveling to how's its structures the structure in very much the same way as the lands in between where there are legacy dungeons minor dungeons can you describe it blah, blah blah and miyazaki says yes we think players can expect a similar experience to what they had with the base game this is going to be structured in a similar way as you said with open field maps with large scaled legacy dungeons so more than one dungeon of the approximate mm -hmm. size of like uh, Stormvale Castle or larger or slightly smaller, whatever. And with small to medium scale legacies as well. So we hope players will enjoy this same sense of scale and sense of adventure throughout that structure. So this is massive. As a matter of fact, they've even specifically said that from a sense of scale, this is the biggest DLC that they have ever made out of any of their titles right what what i find interesting is that okay so multiple dlcs in this dense uh sorry legacy dungeons in this densely packed area so and and then there was another part of the interview maybe that same interview where Miyazaki was talking about we're trying to make the transition from open field to dungeon less obvious so, you know, it's very obvious once you're in Stormvale Castle, you know, yeah. you're not in Stormvale Castle in one second, then you are in Stormvale Castle in the other second. But in this, uh, in this case, they, they said, we want to like transition you more, more gently so that it's, it's more seamless. And so I think about something along the lines of Tears of the Kingdom, where 
you have the dungeon proper where you're running around trying to activate the, the switches in the dungeon. But before that, there's this like entire section leading up to the dungeon that's dungeon-like. Um, so in, in the sky area, there were the, all the boats. You, you jump from boat to yeah, boat. You, jump you try and get, the, mm -hmm. get into the middle of the tornado. And I was like, okay, something like that, I think, is, is probably what he means. Like, there'll be, it'll, it'll look like it's part of the dungeon, but it's still technically part of the open field. And I think that's super cool. Yeah. The, having that transition be more seamless is going to greatly contribute to immersion. But yeah, dude, it's just the, the sense of scale of the DLC and the fact that Miyazaki specifically said, uh, and, and another point that like, this needed to be this big because mm -hmm. that's just the way that Elden Ring is. Elden Ring is a big game, so the only way to do a proper expansion to this, it needs to be big. It can't be something like, say, the Dark Souls 2 DLCs, which were, you know, still somewhat big levels, but we're talking about things that you could do in like five hours, give or take. If you, Even yeah. if you're taking your time and properly exploring the whole thing, it's about a five-hour experience. In some of the cases, even less. Like the very first DLC for Dark Souls 2 was even significantly smaller than that. So <clears throat> the, the DLC for Elden Ring, not even DLC, the expansion for Elden Ring itself, needs to be big just because of the sense of scale that we get from the original game and that needs to be somewhat replicated in the the expansion there's also that i don't think people often I, I don't know if people think of it this way but limgrave is fairly sizable it's bigger than it looks because it's it's not just the starting area it's it's, it's west limgrave and east limgrave with the rune bears and the weeping Pen peninsula all of that is part of limgrave uh i saw some people disagreeing with me but there's nothing to disagree about. You're mistaken. That's all a limb grave. Uh, yeah, like even all the way down to that uh, that castle where you fight. Yeah, Morn, the, the... Morn Castle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That. yeah so all, that's a pretty that big area. That's a pretty sizable uh, chunk of, of land. That's like, what, a fifth of the total game map size? That's pretty big, um, especially if you're, if you're considering how many legacy dungeons. Also, I simply don't believe Miyazaki. When he says that it's a little bit bigger than Limgrave, I just think he's lying, because if you remember back in back in the day when Elden Ring first released, he said that Elden Ring, if you just went through the main campaign, would take you thirty hours to complete on the first playthrough, <laughs> and that's ludicrous. That's ridiculous. You're not spending thirty hours in that game, no matter how good you are, and no matter how much you're trying to focus the main story, you're not spending thirty hours on a first playthrough. Yeah, there's absolutely no way. I, I I was actually trying to find one of those uh, one of those quotes, but I can't find it right now because there's just too much. Oh yeah, here we go. Uh, they are larger, of course. There are open fields as well as legacy dungeons and smaller scale dungeons. They are larger and more diverse than Limgrave in the main game. Mm. Larger and more diverse. I mean, this is a rough translation from like Chat GPT of that Japanese. Uh, that Japanese interview on Famitsu. So, yeah, take that with a bit of a grain of salt. But, mm -hmm. you know, he specifically says larger than Lindgrave, but, but it's it's friggin' massive, basically, is, is what we're getting at. It's going to be massive. And I think it is the, the price that you are paying. I think it's definitely going to be justified. I said at the beginning of my stream before the thing came out <clears throat> that if it wasn't $40, I was going to be deeply disappointed because I'm, I'm taking the price point to be 
a reflection of the scale and the quality. Yeah. So if we had come out and it was $20, oh, you spent two years on a $20 DLC. Like that's not a lot of confidence. You don't think it's, it's, it's big and, and high quality enough to charge $40 for it. If Miyazaki's charging me $40, it's a good day. Cause he's giving me yeah. something worth $40. That's one of the things that, that I always question, like, have these people ever been disappointed with, uh, like, a product? I know that some people were disappointed with Dark Souls 2. I know that that is a fact. I wasn't. I still think it's the worst Dark Souls, but that doesn't make it a bad game. I still like Dark Souls 2, even though there are things in there make me a little bit, you know, whatever, like frigid outskirts <laughs> never going back there again dude that's that's just never going back there again and 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 other and other stuff right there are a couple of things in there that i really don't like but on the whole i still greatly enjoyed the experience so it's like there never there's never been a souls game from from software or even a bloodborne a secular where i played it and i was like man this was not worth it it's always more like this is worth way more to me personally, this is worth way more than the price that I've paid for it. So the price is usually more than fair, is what I'm getting at when it comes to from software. I agree. There are, I mean, just to throw the other, because of the nature of my channel, there I have a small but sizable minority of people that just don't like Elden Ring in my in my channel. Of course, uh, because they. They, they didn't like to transition into the open world. They always liked the things to be more designed. Um, and, you know, these are people that are like, Demon Souls was the best game, you know, and Kingsfield mm -hmm. was <laughs> the best game before that. Uh, I like my my weirdness, that, and they feel like a lot of that's been lost. But if they like the design aspect, uh, there's a lot to these interviews that suggest that the design elements in this, this new one's going to be better because it's more... It's more compactly designed. Yeah. You know, they kept talking about how everything, uh, there's more design elements to it. It's more densely packed. There's more uh, interplay between the open field. And the, so there's less empty space, which is something that they complained about a lot. So I'm like, okay, no, it's perfect. These Even these people should be happy with that. The The only thing that I have to say when it comes to the, um, the whole thing about Elden Ring potentially being too big because of its open world nature is that I definitely felt... Uh, I definitely felt that when it came to replayability, whereas like the original Dark Souls, which is it, at this point is still my favorite. And, you know, a lot of people are like, no, Demon Souls is the one I'm like, no, g give me the original Dark Souls. That That is my favorite one. Even though I did play Demon Souls at the time when it came out and all of that, it was my first title. I still hold Dark Souls close to my heart. But to me, the thing was on the original Dark Souls, I instantly played it, I don't know, friggin' 10 times, 20 times the mm -hmm. moment that game came out. Like, you finish it, you play it again. Finish it, play it again. Fin but comparatively, Elden Ring, I played through the entirety of it, I think, three or four times on release. And then I was like, I'm good. As a matter of fact, I'm so full, I'm about to burst. Like, thank you. I appreciate this <laughs> massive banquet that I just ate, but I don't want to look at food anymore for like a couple of months. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's kind of it's how too I much. felt. It, it's it too is, much. Like, it is too much. I, yeah. I play Demon Souls, Dark Souls, Dark Souls 2, and Dark Souls 3, and Bloodborne, uh, not Sekiro, but all the other ones, like an infinite number of times. Like I, I made so many builds. Uh, I, I made PvP builds. I just did it to go through the story again. I, I did all kinds of things in, in each one of those games. And it's because they're more digestible. It's easier to go yeah. through them and pretend like it's your first time. Like, oh, look at this. But, but now I'm experiencing with a faith build, you know. Now I'm experiencing with a dex build. Um, 
And I like that exploration because it also let me digest lore. I'm a lore person as well. And so I can like pick up an item and reread the item description as if it's the first time, you know, and like really try and get immersed in what I'm doing. And it doesn't take that long. Like once you once you're good and you're not dying all the time, you can get through these these um, games relatively quickly in a day or two. But in Elden Ring, if you actually wanted to do something similar and really like take your time and explore as if you're doing it the first time, there's a lot of mini dungeons. To do. There's oh, a lot yeah. Of, <laughs> there's a lot of little things to go and look at. There's a lot of side objectives. The map's very big. So it's still going to be a chunky adventure for you. It's not as digestible. And because there's so many of these little mini dungeons, it's not as tightly designed. You know, there's not as much stuff, but you still need those items if you want to reread every item description, every lore thing. You still got to go and look at stuff if you want to contemplate the world. And it's just too much. Um, for me when it comes to replayability do you plan on replaying the game ahead of the lc launch yes yes i gotta finish i gotta have at least one build of every type like faith build magic build dex build strength build so i can use any of the weapons uh that are there hmm. okay i'm i'm planning on on replaying the game not sure if i'm going to be able to stream it because that is a big commitment i don't know how mm -hmm. free i'm going to be hopefully mm -hmm. there should be time around june but i i do want to do it i was even looking up at weapons ahead of the trailer i might do like a lance build because there was that um lance uh that you see in the trailer with the gravity stuff on it and whatnot from the Looks dude good. riding a boar i was like mm, that 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 might be nice i don't know i'd like to check that out we'll see but um, before we jump into that, let's talk about the entry point of the DLC. So we're going to be entering through Michaela's Cocoon in Mogwin Palace on the place where you fight Mo Mog, the Lord of Blood. Knee heel, knee heel, knee heel, and all of that mm -hmm. stuff. And that was like one of the one of the community theories. I even remember seeing a bunch of uh, videos and people talking about it. And I, I remember one specific video. I don't remember who made this, but they were like, oh, if you come over here and you click Mikola's hand 50 times when the moon is rising, I was like, bro. <laughs> <laughs> and then it just goes, nothing will happen. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly how it goes. But yeah, the entry point being Mikola's cocoon. It made me wonder, because if you rewatch the cinematic of when you go and fight Mog, Mog basically comes out of the cocoon. The arm starts bleeding into the floor, forms a puddle of blood, and he kind of like emerges from it. Made me question, was Mog in the Land of Shadow, which is the mm. new zone that we're going to be going to? It's possible, but I think it's more like, I think what's what's going on is that Mikula tricked Moog. I think Moog was manipulated. That's uh, so that's my current theory. And he, he's just waiting there for Mikula to, to come back to life, feeding the corpse blood. Uh, so I think he used Moog to somehow get to the, the Land of Shadow. Uh, and he has him just waiting there, uh, not, not intending to come back. Hmm. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. There's, there's just so much about it because even when when he spawns, he says, "Oh, Mikola, you must buy the loan for a while." For a while, whatever. that's true. So, so that's what made me question: Was he with him in the land of shadow? Was he not? But there, all of this is going to be speculation for a good long while until the actual game comes out. He also mentioned something about the birthplace of our dynasty. I was wondering. Oh. 
what oh hey that's pretty that's a that's a pretty interesting point like if he was if he was talking about because you know uh in in one of the interviews that miyazaki did he talked about how there was an a, a civilization that existed before uh, america came to the land of shadow so the land of shadows where where she came to and there was a pre-existing civilization before that yes and and moog's palace he's, he he talks about the revival of his dynasty so he's not starting it from this moment he says he's going to revive a dynasty and that creature that uh mizaki was referring to the lion dance thing had uh omen horns on it yep. so omen horns might might be related to the dynasty that um moog is is talking about because omen blood is is uh connected to the mother of truth which is connected to moog so that's actually pretty interesting uh that that i could see that being a thing yeah there's like i can't wait for all the people that are way more knowledgeable about the lord to start diving into stuff like this i think we're going to be seeing a lot of videos about all of this stuff because again i'm not super knowledgeable about this i, I just went through and i was like hmm so we go through here let me see that cinematic again let me see what's going on and all of that stuff is just super interesting and the amount of theories that can come out of that stuff but one of, the, one of the other things was a lot of people instantly started theorizing, oh, this takes place in the past or in the future or in, you know, something happens after the ending and then this takes place because we're going to be doing some time traveling shenanigans. And, me and, and Miyazaki was just like, nope, there's no time travel. This takes place at the same time. It's just a separate landmass. And I think the main reason why they even made it a teleport is just for development convenience so that they don't have to manually link together the maps because that would probably be a pain in the ass because they've designed the whole landmass and all the thing was done and it's like oh now we have to put another landmass in here and make it make sense it's not going to make sense and they obviously didn't want the repeat of you know you remember dark souls 2 when you go up the elevator and suddenly you're in a lava castle in the sky mm -hmm. <laughs> you don't want something like that so let's just teleport and we're gonna justify it through lore somehow that this land was disconnected for some reason but fundamentally right. everything is taking place at the same time it's just a new zone the land of shadow and he said he said that it's like I, I think it's funny that we're always every every DLC that comes out, it's like time travel, time yeah. travel. That's that's number one speculation. Everybody's like, we're going back to the past. I've seen that a trend ever since Dark Souls One when he did it in Dark Souls One. We're gonna go fight Radon in his prime. We're gonna fight Melania in her prime, or whatever. Uh, and then the same thing with uh, Dark Souls Three, Nameless King in his prime. That's what we're gonna do. And I'm just like, that's never happened. That happened one time. <laughs> yep. That happened one time in Dark Souls One, and it's become it's just a thing now. No, I don't think he's gonna do it again. <laughs> So we are going to be able to seamless travel back and forth, but it does involve some type of uh, teleportation. Now, one of the things that I was wondering, and I don't know, maybe you've seen the, this better in some interview or something. Will we be able to just travel from grace to grace or do we have to go to oh, no, yes. from grace yeah. to grace, travel between yeah. the two areas? Okay. Uh, I, I don't. So you go to the, to the land, between uh, to the land of shadow through the teleport. Yeah. Uh, once you get there, you can you can fast travel from grace to grace, is what he said. I don't know if you'll be able to fast travel from their graces to lands between graces. Yeah, that's what I was. To... That's what I was wondering. Yeah, that's a little that's a little interesting. Uh, 
it might be that you need to go to the to the teleport thing before you can go and access the new map, which would be a little cumbersome and awkward. I'd rather they just once you unlock the uh, a grace in the new area, you can just teleport to that grace from now on. Uh, but we'll see. Yeah, and the in the original Dark Souls, they let you just teleport to mm -hmm. the different time zones. It's fine. It's not really a problem. Mm -hmm. But it's not like they couldn't. Like they, I'd see no reason yeah. why they wouldn't do it that way. Yeah, because it, it's just taking away player time because, oh, now instead of doing one teleport, I have to do two. I have to first teleport to the whatever cocoon on the other side. I mean, there's probably not going to be a cocoon. There's going to be something else on the other side. And then from there, back to the cocoon and Mogwin's palace and all of that. Um, but another interesting thing that uh, that I started looking at because I didn't remember exactly of how many different ways there are to jump into Mogwin's palace but there's a there's a way to go there super fast if you go through Vare's quest line and you do the whole invasion thing you can get mm -hmm. there reasonably fast but if you don't do that i believe that first you got to kill radon so that the meteor comes down and opens the passage right that's how you got to do it or am i uh am i misremembering i don't remember what act like there's a teleporter in the in the snowfield area uh I think in the consecrated snowfield, there's a teleporter yeah, that takes get you to the, most pounds. To get to the consecrated snowfield, don't you have to? No, because you can go there from the other elevator, right? Because there's the elevator that takes you up to whatever golden area. I forget the name. No, you, you, there's an elevator that takes you to the, to the giant snow area. And that same elevator will take you to the consecrated snowfield. You just need the two emblems. And those emblems you get from the albanaric girl yeah in Lyurnia, and the other one where's the, the dark other one? cave and the uh... yeah maybe i don't remember yeah anymore. see that that's the thing i i don't remember everything because the game is so friggin massive that it's even too just, large yeah and but even just trying to remember where you get both of those things but i do know that you can get there super early but miyazaki specifically says that you got to kill radon and i was wondering if miyazaki considered people going to Mog's place through the Vare quest line, which doesn't require you to kill Radon. Ah, sure. I see. I see. So you think that maybe he's, he's thinking about the other method uh, and isn't, isn't thinking, oh, you could just do it with the PvP uh, yeah. version. Yeah. Because I'm assuming the moment you get to, or maybe you need a specific item or something that you need to get at a later point. I, I don't know. It's it could weird. be a lore reason, because, you know, Radon's holding destiny, uh, stars and stuff, so maybe he needs to be dead before before you can uh, access Mikola's thing, because destiny's, the hold on destiny needs to be shattered or something like that. It could be a number of things. Yeah. We'll see how all of that stuff ends up panning out. So, if you go through the trailer and you, you watch through all of that stuff, we start seeing... New weapons, new skills, new arts, spells, and equipment. This is obviously something that we all knew we were going to get. But one of the surprising things about that was eight new <laughs> weapon types. Like, I even asked Gaijin, can you, can you look into this? Like, is it actually eight new weapon types? Because when you're talking about weapon types, like how many weapon types do we even have right now? It's it's probably around eight. It's not much more because you got your straight swords, your curved swords, your short swords. That's probably more than eight, but whatever. It's not that short much. Short swords are are the same as as, uh, as straight swords, normal swords. Yeah. Okay. So, 
I mean, it's, it, it is it is like eight. It's like eight or ten. It's not it's yeah. not a huge amount. It's not a huge amount. So just eight new types is insane. But I'm assuming that these eight new types are going to have like two or three weapons on them. It's not going to be like what we have right now where each type has ten plus weapons on, on the friggin' thing. But we see some of those in in the trailer. So like we see the um, the attack shield, which is kind of a shield with twin blades embedded into it. We mm -hmm. see the the reverse grip blades, which has that maneuver where the character flanks the the enemy because he's holding those in a reverse grip, and then he just like stabs as he does the flanking thing. We got the repeating crossbow uh, in there, which totally doesn't just look like a guts thing. No. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually started reading Guts, uh, Guts. I mean, Berserk recently, because I haven't read it before, and I just started buying the volumes of the manga, but uh, the second volume is late, so I have the first volume and the third, and I was like, damn it, I can't start reading the third now, that's dumb. <laughs> but yeah, I started reading that recently, and I was like, oh, this, this totally doesn't seem like straight out of that, no, <laughs> absolutely not. Do, do you like it? Do you enjoy it? Oh, I love it. I think it's amazing. Mm -hmm. I actually watched mm. a, a video on it that spoiled a decent chunk of the story because I didn't know if I was going to be reading the manga or not. And there's this dude who has like, um, I think it's over 20 hours of, of video or something talking about Berserk. <laughs> and I was just watching large chunks of that. And I reached the point where I was like, no, I need to just read this. This is I amazing. I need to read it. I need to yeah. read I need to see it for myself. And it's very interesting. I still, because I never read manga before, I was like... Bro, reading right to left is terribly unintuitive. It is very hard, especially when I'm a 42-year-old man that's always read left to right. Trying to adapt to this new style, I always get confused. I end up reading the same panel multiple times. When I was a little kid and I tried to read manga, I didn't know that you read it um, uh, right to left. And I tried, I, I would just read it <laughs> um, normally, left to right, and... As a kid, I just didn't realize there was anything wrong with the stories. Like, oh, the Japanese tell weird stories. This is weird and told. But I just thought I just thought it was normal. It's like, okay, I kind of understand, but I didn't understand anything because I was reading it wrong. It was like reading events, and but did you read it from from the end to the beginning? Yeah, like I would read a whole, I would read a whole manga, and I was like, okay, from the end to the beginning. <laughs> That's impressive. Um, but yeah, so. The, we get all those uh, crazy new weapons and stuff. Anything jump to your to your uh, attention instantly? Uh, the throwing daggers that are its own weapon, and and every attack about on the daggers is thrown. Like that's didn't, cool. Didn't we have a weapon that did already? I thought we had one. I'm pretty sure we uh, have a weapon that also throws stuff. Because I remember thinking about a, making a build around it, but I don't remember what weapon it was. We have an Ash of War where you can throw the spear. No, that's not it. That was a wep a weapon, and I think you even get it uh, in one of those graves near... Because the, there's a, a boss, one of those really annoying dudes with a bunch of hands dressed like a cleric. You know the one I'm talking about? Yeah, I know the boss. The, yeah, so there's one of those dungeons that has one of those, and I'm pretty sure that the weapon that I'm thinking of is in the chest behind that boss, but I forget what weapon it is. Hmm. But th there is a weapon already that does that. I just remember when I tried making a build around it that it just wasn't very powerful. But we already have weapons that just do ranged stuff. But Oh, oh, maybe the, the uh, icy rapier, where if you hold down R2, it shoots a little yes. icy 
Yeah. Yes, that that's it, and that doesn't that doesn't like consume anything. So you can technically speaking just spam that if you want to. Yeah, yeah, but I think what makes the throwing daggers uh, unique is that they don't. Have it's not just the R two; it's every attack. Yeah. Every attack is a throwing attack. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, th those looked uh, those looked pretty cool. So the in the Famitsu interview. The dude, when, when Miyazaki says eight new types, he goes, eight new types? Eight? All, eight? Yeah. That's a lot of types. <laughs> there are already a significant number of weapons in the main game, but what specific types of weapons will be added in the DLC? And Miyazaki says, first, there are relative, relatively orthodox directions, such as large Japanese swords and reverse grip swords in more distinctive, innovative directions. For, for example, there's the hand-to-hand -hand combat, which we need to talk more about that, inspired by monks and dueling shields, which integrate offense and defense. They're also throwing daggers, raw attacks, or throwing motions. I think those who have used all the weapon types in the main game will find something fresh to enjoy. So, first, the dueling shields. Like, look, I am somebody that loves shields. I mean, whenever I start my videos, shields up, iron breakers. And one of the things that always frustrates me in from software games is that you rarely get to just do... Shield sh bop. A shield. I just want a shield slam. And usually <laughs> when you get a good shield slam, it's usually a really ugly shield that is good at doing yeah. it. Like, for instance, I was actually watching a, a one of my videos where I was using the fingerprint shield to deal damage. That thing is awesome at dealing mm -hmm. damage, but that shield is like a friggin' tombstone. Yeah. That's it. It's like, can I have a cool look? And, and I think that... If I remember correctly, that shield has the most damage out of any shield in the game. Yeah, it's a, it's a monster. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it kind of sucks because, like, I want to have, like, a cool-looking shield that also deals a ton of damage with shield slams, and that just doesn't happen. So the shield that we get in the trailer, I'm not saying it doesn't look cool, but it's weird because it's not a shield slam. It's more like a stabbing poking things you're doing because he jumps up in the air and he's about to like slam the boss with the the, the pokey bits of it but the, i don't know how, how did you feel about that one uh that is a real thing i saw it uh Wait, afterwards on, really? on twitter that that's that was a real historical duel <laughs> that's what he means by dueling shield i think uh it, it was just a, sh a shield with pointy uh, ends at both sides <laughs> and apparently that, that used to be a real thing what d did you read from where like which saw, army used that I saw a post on Twitter and it showed historical, uh, you know, diagraphs showing people ex explaining how to use it in, in battle. And he was just stabbing somebody with it. <laughs> That's cool. I, I like the fact that they do that. Like one of, one of the things that I always come back to is that the armor of uh, Dome Hall of Zena, because his, his helmet looks ridiculous but that was actually an armor that somebody used a long time ago and i was like that's <laughs> that's just weird why would you do that it's a weird armor but yeah i i appreciate the the accuracy of a lot of the stuff that they end up doing so then there's this is the, a weird ask uh, but before we move on from the weapons uh you know do you use the have you ever used the carrion knight longsword carrion knight longsword it's that I little might. magic sword that has a glint stone in it. I might have, yeah, probably. Uh, it has a cool R2. It's the one that the Carrion Knights use from Lyrnium. And it has a cool R2 where if you if you R2, it does a block with the sword. So, uh, so if someone hits you, even in PvP, the sword will block and then it'll continue to attack 
uh, afterwards. It'll it'll drain your stamina, and you can get guard broken if they hit you with an attack that's too that's too strong. And I really like that attack. It's a very simple attack, but uh, they are adding straight swords as well. They said so. I would really like them to put that specific R two that only exists in that one. I think one other magic sword. Uh, in, a, in just a normal weapon. Just let me have a normal weapon that I can put my own Ash of War that does that R2 that's a straight sword for the love of God and give it that, yeah. that attack. <laughs> that, that, that is an interesting attack type. What 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 build do you think is going to be your main one? Not, now that we've opened this up, what build do you think is going to be your main one for your first DLC run? Because my first thought was I want to have a quality build so that I can, so you use, can use a lot of different things. A lot of different weapons instead of focusing on one thing. I think my solution to that problem is I'm going to get a ton of, of upgrade materials and I'm going to save up all of my mimic tier reset items so that I can, um, so that I can go in the DLC, get a new weapon, upgrade it all the way, use it and, uh, and, and, you know, check it out and, and alternate my build depending on what new weapons I get. If I find something that I'm like, Oh, that's amazing. That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, it's either going to be a magic, like carrion knight build where he's using a lot of this the the magic sword sorcery things uh, i like those a lot or it's going to be uh just a, a dex build so i can use throwing dexters in the tlc <laughs> <laughs> okay so one of the one of the other things is the the hand-to-hand combat so this instantly reminded me dark souls 2 i forget which one of the dlcs but this was in there this was in dark souls 2 there was like a weapon that you would equip with some kind of uh uh, like a Cestus type weapon, some type of fist or something like that, which would just transform your character into a martial arts character, which appears yeah. to be kind of what they're doing here. And the drop kick that he does specifically seems like an animation that comes straight out of Sekiro, in which Sekiro. you also had the the high kick thing, which was one of my favorite arts. I remember a lot of people telling me, oh, that art's garbage. I was like, I know what you're talking about, dude. I can jump over those low attacks <laughs> and just yeah. come back down with a punish. That's amazing. That's one of the greatest things in Sekiro. Yeah, I loved that attack. It was, it's cool because like, uh, Elden Ring is kind of famous for its good hitboxes uh, when it comes to like animation. So sometimes you'll get like clips that people post and they, they go for a low swing, but the, you know, the character animation isn't down there because of some reason. Or, or like it'll it'll stab and it'll just go through its arm or something and not hit him because the arm isn't getting hit. So it's very tight, precise hitboxes that that um, that you see sometimes in clips. So I could totally see some incredible footage of people like doing low sweeps with a with a, a sword in PvP and the guy dodging over it and, and smacking him with uh, with the hand to hand combat kick. Yeah, but yeah, that, yeah. That looked really awesome. I'm very curious to see what what that is going to be like. Did you see the, the? I mean, obviously you did see it. The dude throwing the the big explosive pot. Yeah, that was sick. I don't know if that's going to be a weapon or like a big I, an item that you can like I, carry I five hope, of. I hope. I hope it's not a consumable because I I don't use consumables. Like you know, because you're always, at least me, I look at consumables and my mind always goes. We might need that later. So we should absolutely, fundamentally, never use it because yeah. we might need it later. I'll be on the final boss of the game and I won't use the items because I might need them later. You never know. I'm the only thing that, stuff. that I don't, the only reason I might not want that big pot as a weapon is because 
how are you going to fight with that? Like, are you going to swing it around in normal attacks and then the weapon art is you throw it and then you get another one? Is that going to be the, the, the way it works? I, I wouldn't mind swinging a big pot around. I can throw it, might it be and then cool. it explodes things. I, I don't know. Who knows what it could be? <laughs> but I hope it's something that can be reusable rather than something that is just consumed. Because that mm -hmm. is not going to be as fun, I feel like. Do you use pots in Elden Ring, like throwing pots? Because those are kind of consumable, but also reusable because the actual pot doesn't uh, that you use to craft it doesn't go away. No, I didn't use that a whole lot. I'm, mm. I mostly use like specific weapons with weird movesets. I remember that one of the builds that I was working on, which I think was then brutally nerfed, was the sword of that dude that invades you all the time, the, the barbed sword, whatever, mm -hmm. I forget what his name is. But you can get his sword, and I was like, oh, I'm going to make a build just for this, and it has like all of those weird stats in order to do the little spinny thing that pierces and whatnot. But I think that by the time I got around to it, the weapon was just not that powerful. <laughs> a really good weapon, though, was friggin' Ricard's sword. Ricard's sword was a beast. In Dark Souls? No. The, no? The, the, the snake guy. The snake card. Snake guy. Rykard. Yeah, Rykard, Ricard, whatever. I'm Portuguese, man. <laughs> I, was thinking, I was thinking of a Prince Ricard in Dark Souls 1 that yeah, has a yeah, little yeah. rapier. No, 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 no. Uh, the, the big flaming sword of, of Rykard. Right. So mm -hmm. that one, because it's got the lifesteal and stuff. That was the stuff that I would usually try to go for. I wanted to do that uh, that shield that had like a gun on it, but that thing was kind of not fantastic. It's not great. I guess it's if not. you could stack a bunch of fire things and get the fire uh, potions to to buff your fire damage, it was kind of cool. I saw it some people cool like one-shotting one it. But yeah. that was about it. But I wanted to use it for PvE. I wanted to use it to actually kill bosses with and just, you know. Maybe didn't... you'll get a Gunlance in the DLC. Hey, I'll, hey. <laughs> I definitely take that. Give me a Gunlance, something that shoots and makes explosions. I'll be very happy if that happens. But, uh, yeah, so lots of new weapons, lots of um, weapon um, arts as well, spells, equipment, all of that stuff are things that we're going to be getting, which we kind of already expected. But an interesting thing was when they asked that question, I believe you've talked about this as well, which is they asked, are there any new elements unique to the DLC? And Miyazaki talks about this really weird thing System-wise, there are level-up elements exclusive to the DLC. You can think of it as something similar to the attack power in Sekiro Shadows Die Twice, where there's an attack power that's only effective in the DLC's field, separate from traditional levels. This was prepared for the sake of freedom and challenging threats, making it easier to experience things like, this boss is tough, so let's explore elsewhere, get stronger, and then come back at high levels. On the mm. other hand, by limiting increase in attack power, you can also experience challenging threats at lower level. This was really weird because I even asked Gaijin, like, can you take a look at this? Like, what, what, is, this, what is this even saying? And he's like, well, it's pretty much what you have in the translation. I was like, but this doesn't make sense. <laughs> uh, I think I got it. I was thinking about it all night because I, I posted the video uh, late last night and I just couldn't sleep. It's like, what does that mean? What does that mean? So I was thinking about it all night. And I think I have it. I understand what it means now. Um, it might, might take me a little bit to backstory. I've always said that the problem with these DLCs is that they're suited for the end game. And so they're expecting you to be 
at end game level. If you if you're if you if you decided to stop leveling at the point that you've decided to stop leveling for that new game, so 120 to 150 is what I'm expecting, uh, and your weapons is at max upgrade level. There's nothing to upgrade anymore. You're just going to go into these DLC, and any upgrade materials that you find, you're not really going to use them because you're you go. Most people are going to go in there prepped. The the DLCs in the past have historically been harder than the stuff in the base game. So people are going to be prepped for them. They go in there and then they what what ends up happening is they don't experience the feeling of upgrade. You know, that's of a progression. Big part of, a, yeah. a progression, yeah, of, of the game. So they go to these new areas and they don't get to, to experience getting stronger. They're the exact same amount of strong when they get in as when they get out, apart from, you know, maybe they found a weapon that they like better, whatever. So I was like, well, they got to do something to fix this. I think this is a bad thing. Uh, and I I, th I threw out the idea before of like maybe add another tier to upgrade materials. The DLC might have upgrade materials that um, lets you get your weapon to like plus 15, plus 20, you know, something like that. And uh, everybody thinks that's a bad idea. It is a bad idea. And the reason it's a bad idea is because, well, then what about the people in the base game? They're, they, you know, what about PvP? You're going to have people with, tw you know, plus 20 weapons when the people in the, in the base game can't get up that high because they don't have access to the DLC and the DLC materials. And so this, I think, is their solution. They're going to let you experience progression, and they're going to do it in a way similar to Sekiro. In Sekiro, you could fight these minor bosses, and they'd give you, like, pearls or something, and if you get four of them, you can increase your attack power. Uh, and so I think that's what it's going to be like. There'll be a way to increase your power in the DLC that will be effective only for the DLC area that won't affect your your power in the regular area. So it's a it's a method of being of, of tackling the DLC even at a low level. Is what is what uh, he was talking about in the in the last phrase that I misunderstood. So even at a low level, if you wanted to, you can go there and use the the DLC progression system alongside your your leveling to get up to up to par. Or if you're already at the level that you want to be, you your progression will have to do with the the extra offensive power that you'll get from the DLC area. The only thing that I could think of was the there's like two things that come to mind when he brings up the example of Sekiro and progression in Sekiro. I, did, mm -hmm. I didn't remember this attack power thing. I, it's been a long time since I last played Sekiro. But um, two things that came to mind were, you know how you can get, you have that uh, skill tree that allows you to get the different attacks like the, the high kick and all of this stuff, right? That's a skill yes. tree in and of its own. So I was thinking, would they have like specific war arts to that? Or mm. you have also the the tools. I forget what they're called. The the trick uh, is a trick arm that they called it that you could replace, and you'd have the axe, or you'd have the fireworks. Pro prosthetic arm, yeah. The prosthetic arm, yeah, that's it. So with that, that was also something that you can add. And for certain bosses, it could actually trivialize certain things. Like um, what was his name? Genichiro, the horse guy. Was he Genichiro? No. Genichiro, the horse no, no, guy was, was Gyobu. That, that, Gyobu Masataka Oniwa. Yeah, that, that, that's what I was, I was like. My name is Gyobu Masataka Oniwa. <laughs> <laughs> so like for that guy, if you have the fireworks thing, it kind of trivializes a lot of the fight because you can just fireworks the horse and the horse like staggers and, and whatnot. At least that's what I remember from that. So I was thinking maybe there would be some upgrades in the vein of that, which he just loosely translated to attack power. But what you said actually makes way more sense. Just have a, a different progression system in there, almost like instead of you having, you know, the shards and stuff that you use for your weapon, you just have something that increases your stats permanently in the DLC. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, that might be what you end up getting.
and it does make sense. It's like a shadow power for the lands of shadow, and that's what you get. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's just um, I think it just sounds great. Like uh, it's exactly like the thing I like about video games. People are always asking me, "Well, what do you want in this? You know, what do you want in this DLC? What do you want in these games?" And the right answer, uh, as far as I'm concerned, is I don't know. I want them to come up with something yeah. I can't come up with because I'm not the game designer and Miyazaki's better than me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, what... People people ask me that a lot as well. Like, well, well, what do you what do you want from from software? Do you want Bloodborne two? Do you want Dark Souls four? It's like, no, I want the next thing. And and whenever it comes to DLC and stuff, well, what would you really like to see in DLC? Even with Monster Hunter, what monster do you want to see in the next Monster Hunter? I'm always gonna say Genran and Durenran because I haven't fought those in a long while and I miss those fights. But other than that. Is like, I want new monsters. I want the next thing. I want them to come up with something new and more interesting. What system would you like to see changed? I don't know. I want them to make <laughs> something new that is cool. That's what I want. I want cool things. I'm not the one who's going to be creative when it comes to developing video games. Otherwise, I'd be a video game developer. Like, with the exception of my excellent design of the magnetic hammer, which it would be it would be the best weapon that we could possibly have in Monster Hunter, but you know, it is what it is. So didn't we uh, have a magnet spike in Frontier? Yeah, there's a magnet spike in Frontier, which is which is exactly why the magnet hammer makes sense. They've already opened the door. You see what I mean? People call me crazy. They're wrong. I'm hundred percent right. They've already opened the door with the magnetic spike. But um, yeah, so on top of all of this stuff, we are getting 10 new boss fights. He says at least 10 new boss fights, so there's probably going to be a couple more. Some of them are going to be optional. Like, what do you think about the number of boss fights? It depends on what they mean by 10 new boss fights. If, if they say 10 new boss fights and they mean 10 new big bosses, you know, you know something along the lines of like Margit at least like that yeah. th that's the lowest tier something that's as designed as Margit uh, 10 of those oh that's fucking wonderful that's incredible like that's good stuff to hear but um if they mean 10 ulcerated tree spirits people gonna be angry Ooh, <laughs> people not gonna that. be mad like i i think we're i think that's what they're talking about when they say 10 new boss fights i expect it to be 10 new bosses with their own mechanics and stuff and then mm -hmm. you're going to have like a bunch of the other lower tier bosses that you face off against in the dungeons that sometimes are even just like, oh, this is an NPC that you fight. He's just a little bit beefed up right now and he's got like one or two new attacks or something like that. Yeah. Also, I, I don't want to see those dogs anymore. Okay, I'm done with the dogs. I don't want the dogs <laughs> the or dogs. cats or whatever the hell they are that just slam down. I'm like, I'm done the with crows. that. Okay. The crows too. crows crows which crows the crows in, in Caleb. oh god <laughs> oh no, <laughs> no i don't want to fight those things again i don't even want listen i'm not even going to Caleb in my new playthrough all right i'm, I'm just gonna go do the vari quest line skip that part yeah <laughs> screw that place dude that place is terrible but yeah how I do you feel about ultrated tree spirits because i think i like them even though everyone seems to also, be tired of them because there's 15 of them. Those are like the the dudes that are usually saving like the, the small tree. Wait, snakes? I'm confused. Yeah, they're, like, they're like tree snakes, you know? Aren't they the ones that are kind of like the asylum demon? No, those are just the tree spirits. The ulcerated tree spirits are like the ones that writhe around and they like 
uh, try oh, and grab no, you. Oh, no, no, no. I know, I know what you're talking about. The ulcerated tree spirits. Um, I mean, I feel like I'm kind of neutral on them. I don't think that they were... I mean, I might just be misremembering it, but I... You know, they gave me a little bit of trouble, but they weren't, like, super unmanageable once you understand how they work. People don't like them. Uh, I don't think it's because they're like super hard. It's because they there's just so many of them. Like you, you there's they're all over the maps, and then there's the the rot one down there, and then uh, they just don't like them because there's so many of them. But I'm like, no, they're fun. They have nice hitboxes. How do people uh, feel about the Moon Beast or whatever it was called? There's only like two of them, so I don't think there's enough. There's three. Or, there's three. There's three. Okay, let's talk about uh, that for a second. Do you think that Elden Ring overuses its enemies like do you think that there, there's a lack of enemy diversity in Elden i don't Ring? think i don't think there's a lack of enemy diversity but they do reuse a lot of their models but it's not something that bothers me it's not something that like oh i can't enjoy the game i remember that this is also a complaint that people had in dark souls 2 because a lot of the bosses were like humanoid knight number 57 or whatever it's like mm -hmm. sure it's not as special because you've killed a bunch of them already but it doesn't really hinder my enjoyment of the game does it stop you from enjoying the game? No, the problem is that I don't agree that there's a lack of enemy diversity. Yeah, in, I, I, don't, in... I don't think there is. I don't think there's a Be lack of enemy diversity. There is maybe a case to be made on reusing the same enemy models one time too many. Maybe yeah, that maybe. could be something. Yeah, I could see that. I could see something like that. But like when, when I try and think of anything comparable, like any open world game that's, that's at least even a little bit similar to Elden Ring, I, I have to I have to say I think it has the most enemy like w w what's the other biggest open world game that people are always comparing things to it's probably be Breath of the Wild Breath of the Wild's enemy diversity doesn't exist <laughs> there's no enemy diversity there's three Damn. enemy types in Breath of the Wild maybe Harsh. like five if you if you want to include you're, some other things you're exaggerating <laughs> a bit but I get it <laughs> am I hang on I'll count them like uh, Moblins uh uh little smaller moblins lizafos those are the three main enemy types then there's the, like the little bats and i'm not counting the skeleton versions those are the same thing <laughs> what about the uh, the big the big dudes the cyclops you just count those as big moblins fine those are the, the five there you go <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and but... then they just different colors different colors to, to depending on their on their tier you know yeah. it's just like and then I get the wizard foes, but it, it, you get the idea. Like they they've got they've got a sad amount compared. It's, it's not even that I'm unhappy with it. Like that's not that's not exactly what I'm saying. Uh, but the, but Elden Ring has in the first area like just so much stuff, like a, a huge variety of things compared to something like Breath of the Wild. Even in compared to something like Dragon's Dogma, you know, Dragon's Dogma has a pretty wide enemy variety. Like that's one of the yes. things it's known for. It, it's interesting probably, um, because there's people that probably don't think that because they did Dragon's Dogma. Because I even remember somebody telling me like, oh, I played through the whole game. There are almost no bosses to fight. I was like, what? What? Are you, <laughs> what? Like I, I was blanking for those of you just wa listening to the audio version. I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> the thing is, a lot of those bosses, if you actually think about it, they're off the beaten path. You don't necessarily encounter every single boss that you can fight in dragon's dogma you have to go out of your way to find them and if that's going to be to the like same consider... thing with, with two as well yeah so... with the sphinx that apparently oh, yeah, some yeah. people are just not going to see the sphinx never going to find it and yeah. apparently the sphinx uh, is a one-time 
test thing I've, I've heard. I don't know if this is true, but I've heard that it's little questions that it gives you. You get one shot at answering those questions. You get it wrong. Too bad. That's it. You messed up. <laughs> like, damn, that's some balls. <laughs> some yeah, balls to, uh, on, on game design. But, but like going back to the whole thing about lack of diversity, I don't think there's lack of diversity. I think that people say that because they fight the same monster more times than they would care for. Maybe that's the reason why. But it is an open world game. It is expected that some things are going to repeat is, is where I'm I, at. What's weird is that I see that criticism in Elden Ring when I don't see it in other popular open yeah. world games like, okay, Ghost of Tsushima. A lot of people like Ghost of Tsushima. You're telling me that doesn't reuse the same enemy type uh, um, oh, way yeah. more <laughs> than uh, than Elden Ring? It, I think uh, the the problem that we have here is that From Software has been so successful and they've set the the bar for what is a good video game so high that when they take one minor shortcut, people are like it's garbage. This is a <laughs> unacceptable quality. Like, <laughs> People are just so used to the gourmet experience that whenever there's like a minor <laughs> thing, it becomes massive because they're like, I know you can do better than this. <laughs> what do you mean? So I guess that might be where people are coming from. But yeah, no, it, I, I've never really, I, I, I don't think I've had any issues with that specific, uh, that specific. You remember, you remember the uh, problem people had with its user experience back in the day, the other the Ubisoft devs. <laughs> That, that's Talking about hilarious. the user experience. That's hilarious with the with the UI, and and it's funny because we recently, well, recently a, a while ago, before the release of Suicide Squad, we had a screenshot of what the UI was going to look like, and I'm not sure if you've seen it, but good lord, that thing was atrocious. And I was like, hey, I'm I'm gonna need the input of those people that were upset about <laughs> Elden Ring's UX. I want you to talk about this. Can, can we get that energy in here? Let, let's see you guys commend this this friggin' almost fully modded MMO looking UI on this game. <laughs> <laughs> it, it it looked like the uh, that one meme that people had when, oh, when yeah. Elden Ring, if it was made by by Ubisoft, and it was that one meme where it's just cluttered. There was no uh, battle pass on the side. <laughs> I think it had more than that. Even it was insane, and this was an official UI. It wasn't a meme. <laughs> good lord but yeah that was uh that was a thing so 10 new boss fights probably a whole bunch of like minor dungeons um he does mention though medium scale legacies and i think you've you've made a good example of saying like this is something in the vein of more castle right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's what i'm assuming so in Limgrave, we had what? One of those? We had one legacy dungeon that's Stormvale, and yeah. then one Morn Castle, which is is probably yeah. what they're referring to. And that's just, you know, that's it. That's all. I, well, I guess you could consider a smaller tier legacy the fort uh, where the blood commander is that Kenneth Height sends you to go kill. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember that one. Yeah, that that uh, could be that could be another. But that one is also very small. That yeah. So I'm assuming that's what he means by small. And what he's what he means by medium is mourn. What he means is by mourn. big yeah. is Stormvale. And I'm assuming that small. He's also talking about like those tiny dungeons that we get to see. I have never heard those referred to as legacy anything's by anyone uh, before. So I'm hoping that's not what he's talking about, and that 
if they do have many dungeons, uh, those are just like, oh, well, of course we're going to have many dungeons. But he didn't, because I've never heard them. They're not like legacy dungeons. So you know, let's, le let's say you have the option here where um, when, when they were designing the, the DLC and they have the option of, okay, so we can make 20 of these smaller dungeons. Now, let's say 30. We can make, because mm -hmm. I want to really exaggerate the example. There's probably not going to be 30 small dungeons. I, I wouldn't expect it anyways. But let's say you can have 30 of these small dungeons, which is dungeons like the ones that you get where patches is, you know, dungeons like that. Yeah. You can have 30 of these, or you can have five that are maybe a little bit better designed, uh, maybe slightly bigger and with better... Just slightly better quality overall. What would you prefer, the 30 or the 5? Probably people would disagree with me, but I like the mini dungeon things that they strew ar around the map. It, and I would take the 30, assuming that it's a, a good set of 30. You know, if it's comparable to the best 30 that you had in, in the base Elden Ring game. Interesting. I would take the 5. Yeah. Yeah, most I think I, most people would take the five. I don't blame them, but I'm also someone who liked the Chalice Dungeons in Bloodborne. <laughs> I mean, I like the Chalice Dungeons, um, but I would have preferred if the Chalice Dungeons were not... Because the way that the Chalice Dungeons worked out was you had to go through the static ones, and then you mm -hmm. could unlock the, the procedurally generated ones. And I wish that they were procedurally generated from the get-go. I feel like it, the system was too convoluted the way that it worked yeah. i was like yeah. no just give me diablo dungeon generation and bloodborne that's what i want and if it worked like that i think i would have liked it way more than the way that it worked because there were just so many of the static ones <laughs> there were just, there were just so many of them that i was like well i've done like 50 or so of these static ones do i even want to <laughs> go and do them randomly it's like I'm, yeah <laughs> so i would I never rather did any if, of that but like, what's the difference really if uh, you had never experienced the static ones? Like, what, what do you care if it's random or, or static? Because, because I, you know I would want to farm the same dungeon to progress to the other one. Oh, I see. You see what I mean? Like, I, I would yeah, want I to get, okay, so you have to farm this dungeon a certain amount of times in order to then be able to access this different tile set for this other dungeon. And then you farm this one a bunch of times. And, you get, and because of the way in which the progression worked, I was like, well, I'm just doing static dungeons. Like, I still liked it, but it wasn't as interesting to me as I initially expected because I remember when I was reporting on the Chalice Dungeons for Bloodborne at the beginning, to me, that was a major selling point of Bloodborne. I was like, bro, this is Diablo Dungeons in my Bloodborne game. This is going to be amazing. But because of the way that progression ended up working on them, I was not as interested. I just wanted random dungeons, basically. But uh, yeah, that's a lot of the content that we're going to be getting in there. Naturally, there's going to be a brand new poison swamp. <laughs> because of uh, I think it's going to be Deathblight. I think it's going to be a Deathblight swamp. You can see in the trailer that it kind of yep. looks Deathblighty, and the, I'm like, okay, the yellow stuff in the ground. Yep. Yep, that's a there, there was a reporter that asked him, Miyazaki, why do you love Poison Swamp so much? And this was a while ago. And and he's like, huh, I guess I do like Poison Swamps. Uh, 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 I never noticed that. And then in this latest interview, he's like, yeah, apparently I like Poison Swamps. I didn't realize it until after I made Elden Ring. And I was, intros I was introspecting on it. I was reflecting on that while I was making this latest Poison Swamp. 
<laughs> and uh, and he's like, so I hope the players will be able to feel that reflection when they're when they're. And so I look at at the the, the death blight, and I'm like, this bastard, whoever that journalist was, has awakened something in Miyazaki. The swamps are gonna be worse from now on. <laughs> it's gonna be amazing, dude. You're gonna enjoy that death blight swamp. You know you will. I, I it was funny. Yeah. I was watching um Quaylag's video on this, and she was excited for it. She was like, oh, I love the poison swamps. It's amazing. I was like, god damn, <laughs> why would you do this? I still don't think they have they have topped the original Poison Swamp of uh, Valley of Defilement in Demon Souls. Dude. That was the best one, and they have never gotten as close. I'm I'm not sure if best one is what I'd call it, but sure, <laughs> fine. I it like was something. I like Blight Town, unironically. Really? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I do too. Probably the first the first couple of times I went through there, probably didn't like it that much very frustrating but once you understand the layout of it it's not that bad i remember running through blight town both in reverse and in the well i say in reverse it's actually intended order to me the the order that i that i would go through it normally is actually the reverse order which is when you get the key and you go through the you go through the the area and you along the ruins and all that stuff. That is the actual reverse order to go through Blight Town. The proper order is coming through the sewers. That is the intended order. Yeah. But the intended order is terrible. It's a nightmare. It's really hard. It's really hard. <laughs> it's a nightmare. But yeah, both in in those orders, both normal and reverse. I I like them both now. Now that I understand how it works and I get all the items and all that stuff, I like it. I always go through there and some. Um, pretty nice it's a nice place blight town made me a bad person for how fun it is to invade there i did <laughs> nothing but in the early games of dark souls before anybody knew anything even me i didn't know anything about how balance worked i would do nothing but invade in blight town i wouldn't even progress the story until i ran out of like the cracked red eye orbs <laughs> that yeah, i had that, that, i mean that was that was the thing though because even in internal qa that's what people would do they would invade in Blight Town because it's one of the most annoying areas to invade in. And that's why you have the NPC down there, uh, Mildred or whatever. That was because mm -hmm. that's where the developers would invade. So they were like, oh, we should just <laughs> put an NPC in here to invade so that mess people up. <laughs> Man-eater Mildred. I would use... I would use the force uh, miracle thing to like push people off the side of the ledges. People <laughs> do amazing. that. People used to do that a lot in um, what's it called? Sense Fortress, as well as New oh, uh, yeah. and Orlando as well. Wow! Because if you stack enough armor, like you can you can survive a hit, and mm -hmm. they if you if you trade and you're using force, you can knock them off a ledge. It was so great, <laughs> dude. To this day, Sense Fortress is probably still my favorite from software level. I have a I have a really fond memory of this one viewer of mine who invaded me in there. I always like to bring this up because it's beautiful. So I'm live streaming. This dude invades me in in Sense Fortress. His I still remember his name. His name was Total Halberd, which I think was a reference to Total Biscuit, but he would play like characters with Halberd, so he'd call himself Total Halberd. And he invades me, and where does he sit? You know the area after the pendulums at the top? Yes. Because you have, like, the archers shooting at you, and then he's sitting on the other side of all the pendulums waiting for me. <laughs> so basically what I do is I just sit next to the, the thing, the, the, the area. In an area where I'm safe, the archer can't hit me. And he's not going to, you know, risk crossing over the pendulums. And I just sit there for a while and I'm talking to chat, you know, like 
I, I make it seem like I'm uh, a little bit distracted because I'm talking to chat and all of this stuff. And he's, <laughs> he's just he's just sitting there waiting for me, right? And then because there's a bit of a stream delay, I just book it. I just run right through. I run through all of the pendulums. And I get... And, He's not reacted yet because he's he's just like sitting there waiting. So he's getting bored, right? So he doesn't even react. I run through the whole thing. And the second I run through the whole thing, I turn right. And there's that uh, trap that shoots three arrows oh, at yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> so I just like run through, hit the trap, keep running, and he dies to the arrows. Perfect. Perfect. I was like, oh, this is beautiful. I love this place. I run since Fortress, son. I live here. <laughs> this is my spot. So yeah, I lo I love that level. Big fond memories. This is why um, I like invading. I like to give people memories like that. Like that's you you wouldn't have that memory if someone didn't invade you there. Yeah, exactly. You wouldn't have that fond uh the fondness. Which which is why dude, I I really wish I I cannot emphasize enough. We've talked about this before how uh, you know, you can't really get invaded organically in Elden Ring, which is stupid unless you're doing co-op, <laughs> which sometimes sucks for the people that are invading as well. I mean, some people look at look that particular challenge, right? They want to do the, you know, 3v1s or whatever the hell they want that. But a lot of people just want to invade and have a good time. And it's like, I don't I don't think that you 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 can't opt out of invasion like I, I don't need the game to be always online like if you don't want to be invaded you can just you know pull the plug on on the console whatever play offline there's just straight up an option to play offline so you're never going to get invaded by another player but i really wish that we could go back and and i want them to make it easy because like for instance in dark souls it's not easy for me to remain in an invadable state I have to consume resources to remain in an, in, in an invadable right. state, which sucks because it's like, bro, I'm wasting my humanity on this. I need this to level up my <laughs> my bonfires. And, and I understand you can get tons and tons of humanity. You can farm the shit. Sure. Fine. Whatever. If you don't. But if you don't know or, or not in a yeah. place to be doing that, then it, it you know, it's costly. It, it, it sucks. So it's like I want to have that experience and I really wish that they would give us a mode to do that. Like it can just be something like a, a one of those fingers and you just yeah. hit the finger and it's like, okay, from this moment onwards, you can always get invaded and then give the, the cooldown that we used to have, which I think is like five minutes or 10 minutes between invasion or whatever, something like that. Yeah. That's but, the problem. People, people are like, use the dried finger or whatever. What was, what's it called? The taunter's tongue. Um, yeah, Tonner's tongue. Yeah, it's it's, it's, not, it's, it's terrible. Not the same. It, it's it's terrible. It's, it's not a, the same yeah. mechanic. It's it's different because the Tonner's tongue is like the dried finger in that you're just summoning endless waves of phantoms to come at you. You're not. That's not what I'm wanting. I'm not. I would like to be surprised. I would like to be. I would like to to happen, and then some cooldown happens, and then they can come in after a certain amount of time. Like I just want it to work how it did before, um, basically. And I would be if I have to opt in, I'd be happy to. I actually think interviewers are wasting their questions because Miyazaki answers the questions and sometimes he gives you way more information than you asked for. Like he's he's way more uh, free with the information than I expected in these last two interviews. And nobody's asked him, hey, did you add any more multiplayer? Is there covenants? You got covenants in here? <laughs> did you? No one's asked of that. I'm, I'm just like losing my shit. I feel why? like most interviewers don't even engage with covenants. That's why they they don't they just don't care. They play the game ah. in single player. They probably even avoid invasion. A lot of them probably think invasions are toxic. Yeah, 
It wouldn't surprise me. People look at it, oh, invasion, such a toxic, oh, this, as a matter of fact, nowadays, I wouldn't be surprised if some people would see this as a form of harassment. It's like, oh, this player invaded me, and, and then he killed me. Oh, I never I felt seen, so violated in my life. I have seen like, a bro. shocking number of people compare invasions to sexual assault. Dude, get I, have, I have seen a shocking number of people, uh, and anyone that, that does, I, I bet you, I'm willing to bet you if you bring any PvP YouTuber, that does that does souls invasions 100 will tell you that they've had comments telling them that they're, that they're basically rapists <laughs> and, and the worst part is like you'll have conversations with any of those at least most of the ones that i know of those pvp mm -hmm. youtubers and content creators and whatnot they're the chillest people ever they're super chill they're they're not violent they're not they're not like this 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 ah damn it i can't even speak uh, <laughs> deranged, that's the word that I was looking for. They're not these deranged sociopaths. They're just chill people. They just want to, you know, do some PvP. That's it. That's it. That's all they want. And, and, and the interesting thing is there are people like you and me where we want to get organically invaded. Like in my case, I suck at PvP. I've always said it. I've never taken Dark Souls PvP seriously, but that doesn't mean that I don't appreciate it. I like mm -hmm. getting surprised. Like we've said, like I love the the idea of organic invasions, and Elden Ring just doesn't have that. It just doesn't See, have that at all. There's no organic invasions in Elden Ring. I appreciate you saying that because, like, the number of people that want to invade is actually much smaller than the people that want to get invaded. There is. I think uh, you know, there's a lot of people that are not PvP hounds. They're they're not they're not here to. And the problem with this current system that we have is that it has filtered out only the really good people to be invaded because they know they're going to deal with two people at a time. Or at least, you know, the, all the tryhards are going to be doing it. Like, um, where, where before, if you got invaded, um, it could be someone that sucks because they're just trying it out. You know, it could be somebody that, that's not that great uh, because they, they have a shot of it not being 2v1 or 3v1. There's a possibility of that in the air and so people were more encouraged to invade back then if you want to invade today you're invading with the mindset you're going to deal with two people at least you're going to deal with yep. two or three people so you better come in there with a loadout that's capable of dealing with two or three people which is just making everybody angry because they're the people that are uh, co-oping they're like oh these people with the most broken stuff and they're they're using high level stuff at lower level areas um and the people are like well i have to because you're bringing your your level 700 phantom friend here with 15 estus flas exactly at level, at level 30 uh and so everybody's angry at each other and i just i think that this current system is fixing a problem that is, in a way that's making it worse it, it 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 is definitely making it worse and i really like like i said just give us one of the fingers that just says hey now you can just be invaded like you would be if you were in human mode in Dark Souls. That's that's all I want. That's all I want. Just, like, just give me something that now permanently it's like you're in human mode in Dark Souls until you turn this off. And that's it. And, what I would really like is is for the DLC to introduce a invasion area like they had back in the day. The Aldrich Faithful area in Dark Souls 3 or the mm -hmm. Farron Woods. Uh, even if it's just one legacy dungeon or one dungeon, a mid-sized mid dungeon like Morn's Castle. Uh, where people don't have a choice anymore. You're getting invaded if you walk in this in, in this area. <laughs> See, well, back well, like the good old days. I, I'm I'm not even against that, but the thing is, that's not what I want. Because like, right. I already know that there's a chance of me getting invaded there, which kind of defeats yeah. the whole point. It's like yeah. I don't want to know if I'm getting invaded. 
I just want to get invaded. I just want to be running through a level and, you know, suddenly, oh, crap, now I have to deal with this, right? That's what I want. And it, it it's, it's still weird to me that people are so fundamentally against that because I remember the, the first time I ever heard of a mechanic like this was, I don't know, it was some random Korean MMO or whatever the crap where people could invade other people's games. And I, and I remember hearing that and I was like, wait, what? You can invade another person's game and kill them? That's amazing. That sounds fantastic. I want that. And then eventually mm-hmm. when my friend told me about Demon Souls and how other players could randomly invade you, I was like, that's exactly what I want. That's awesome. It, it's it's just a cool mechanic. It's it's an organic thing that can just happen, and they completely killed that aspect of Elden Ring. And now the worst part, we're having this conversation, and I already know there's going to be minimum. 10 people in the comment section just use Tonner's tongue. And I'm just like, you just, you just, you just don't get it. You don't understand. You, you fundamentally understand. do not understand. Like, listen, the last time I used the Tonner's tongue. I, do, I don't want to invite. I don't want to invite people to come invade me. I just want yeah, to get invaded. The, the last time <laughs> I used the Tonner's. invite someone. Yeah, the, the last time I used the item, there were no joke. There was like six or seven invasions back to back. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "This, this is not what I want. <laughs> like, this is <laughs> even if I'm winning, I, this is not what I want because I know they're coming. So who yeah. cares? It doesn't matter. You have to not know it's coming. You have to be caught completely unaware, and that's when the the stuff gets gets special. What is odd about people being against it is that it actually doesn't have anything to do with them, um, because even your idea where people can opt in. Let's say, let's say you use a finger." And you're now opted into this system. You can be invaded and you can invade people that that are, well, you, you just can be invaded. You've opted into the pool of people that yeah. can be invaded solo forever. And so whenever someone else tries to invade, they might invade you or they might invade a co-op group. Doesn't, doesn't matter. You'll invade somebody. So you have a group of people that want to be invaded. And then the, you have a group of people that want to invade solo hosts. And so these two groups want to be together. They, w- yes. they want to meet each other. And then there's this third group that says, no, it's like, it's like, it's that meme. I consent. I consent. And then this third group of people, I don't. <laughs> That's exactly what's happening. Yeah. And it's just, again, I think it would be cool because if you get that, there are going to be people because I, I've had these types of duels where people aren't sweaty tryhards. They just want to have some fun. And everybody can go and still have fun. There's still going to be the tryhards that are going to like hide behind every big monster and then shoot you from afar <laughs> with a crossbow. But at the same time, that's what the game is training them to be. Yeah. Because every time they invade, it's a goddamn bloodbath where they have to be fighting off five or six different people. It's too much. It's it's the weirdest thing when two groups of people, what, there, there'll be a co-op group with two or three guys and then there'll be a invader. And then... They'll do a little skirmish, and then the invader will back off to some enemies. Um, and then the co-op group will not go. And I've seen people be so stubborn about this, and both groups will not engage. They'll just stay in their little areas, and and they'll, just, they'll spend half an hour to an hour <laughs> there, not, not progressing the story. And that's not fun for anybody. And the yeah. worst part is that both of those groups think that they're in the right, and that the other guy's being the asshole for, for doing this. Yep. And I'm like, no, no. The fault's on the co-op group. That's what I think. The co-op group has the numbers. They should be able to deal with enemies and and the guy. If there's, they, if there's two or three people, 
the co-op group has has the duty to go forward and try and get through the level. And, and you don't have to kill the guy. Deal with the enemies, and if the guy backs off to other enemies, then you slowly progress and keep doing that because <laughs> that's what you do. Figure it out. Yep, I agree. It is what it is. But um, yeah, PvP, man. I I hope that they can. But I I don't think they're gonna do anything because again, they haven't talked about covenants or anything like that. So who knows if there's even anything new in that regard. But I definitely hope they do something. But we'll see. Right. So I guess to uh, wrap us up on the Elden Ring thing. So we've already talked about how this is uh, the land that Mikola has gone to. This is the land that Merica came from. Because supposedly Merica came from the Shadowlands. I believe I've read that in one of these interviews somewhere. My mind's still a bit of a mist with all of this stuff with the amount of live streams I did yesterday. But... One of the important things, Mesmer, Mes, I don't even know if it's supposed to be pronounced Mesmer or Mesmer, because it's got two mm. S's on it, which is kind of weird. Mesmer the Impaler. What do you think yeah. about him? So I put, I put a tweet yesterday. I was like, Mesmer the Impaler, huh? And I showed a picture of Merica and how she's impaled by some kind of uh, spike that looks kind of like the Rune of Death uh, looking thing. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. And then I started thinking about, uh, I, I put a different tweet where, so you're in, you're in the shadow land and that's what this is. And it's a, a place that's hidden from the normal land. And in the rune of death, uh, the rune of death is described by the finger reader as uh, destined death or the forbidden shadow plucked from the golden order upon its creation. And in the, in the interview, Mizaki said that this Shadowland area became displaced from the normal area as the, from the events of, a, of the story. There was also a description that says that, you know, you're following Mikola and, and trying to figure out what Merica did back there. It's about Merica's past and how Mer so Merica took the Rune of Death out of the Golden Order on its creation. And I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> the Rune of Death is called the Forbidden Shadow. This is the Shadowland. Um, it, he's called Messer the Impaler. He impale, he might have impaled Merica. The thing that impales Merica looks like the Rune of Death colors of thing. Um, I think that... Oh, also, the, the Destined Death thing, Fia, the, the girl that's the, yeah. that gives you the Bodokin's Blessing, she has a symbol... Uh, the Bodokin blessing icon of it has a symbol of a bedchamber with like veils around the, the bed. It's a bed canopy that mm -hmm. looks like the, the canopy that, that surrounds the, the, the thing. Earth tree, so, the earth tree on, yeah. the, on the, new, the new Shadowland zone. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking all of this together. This is connected. I, I think it's connected to Destined Death. I think that this is the thing that got plucked out of the Golden Order and is hidden. It's a forbidden. It's got to be forbidden for a reason. It's a forbidden shadow. <laughs> um, it's connected to destined death. Um, I th America did something here. It's the land that she first visited. I think that's that's what this is going to be about. That's my and that's the swamp and the theory. swamp has death blight on it, and mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. stuff that we see on the trailer has like those little death roots also all over the area and all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And now on top of it, um, Miyazaki specifically says in one of the interviews as well that the veil that is shown in the, the new zone, that that is connected as to why the area is hidden or something like that. Like that's the symbolism of that veil, that that veil is hiding the yes. land of shadow from the 
world of the lands between or whatever. Uh, a lot of people right now think Mesmer is m either triplets with uh, Melania and Mikola because he might represent. There's yep. been this theory a long time for a long time that he might be representing the the fire butterfly and Melania represents the rot butterfly and uh, Mikola represents the nascent butterfly. Um, they used to think Melina was representing the fire butterfly. And then I started thinking, you know, maybe Melina and this guy are... Well, we already know he's a child of America. Uh, but he has his eye closed in the same way that, that Melina has her eye closed. And I'm like, and before they used to think that she was the fire butterfly because she's the kindling maiden. I'm, I'm wondering if there's some connection between those two that I'm, I'm not seeing yet. I don't know. One one of the things um, about that was people started saying that the, the word Mesmer supposedly relates to knife maker in German or whatever. So hmm. he could have been the one who made the, whatever they're called, the the knife. What are they, what are they called? The Black Knight. Yeah, the Knight the, of the Black Knife. The, the Knight Assassin Knife things. Yeah, yeah the, the, black, the Black Daggers of Death or whatever it was called in the game, that he might have been the one who made that. Which mm. I don't know if that is the case or not. There's also theories surrounding the the fact that you know mesmer. If you read as mesmer, as in mesmerizing, there's people who are saying that is the power of Mikola and how he uses love to convince. He uses love like a weapon to convince yes. people to do what he wants. And so mesmer is somehow connected to Mikola that way because mesmerize all of that. Uh, and then there was a, a really weirder one to me because you look at me, I'm not a religious person. I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm an atheist. I think that the term is agnostic. I don't believe, mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm open to the opportunity, basically. Mm -hmm. The possibility. I'm open to the possibility. And the, the point is there's supposedly religious meaning behind it because, you know, the way in which uh, America is... Like, you know, with uh, almost like on a cross, right? With right. the spear impaled through her, the spear mm -hmm. of destined death. Uh, yeah. That was kind of like a reference to Jesus and how he was impaled in the cross. With right. The so Mesmer could be, uh, what's his name? Longin Longinus. Longinus. Yeah. Which, Something. interestingly enough, the first time I ever heard a reference to Longinus was actually an Evangelion. <laughs> yeah. Weird stuff. I could see that because um, I don't know if you ever saw any of my lore videos, but I had a bunch of lore videos talking about the heroic concept. And Miyazaki talked about Mesmer also having a heroic concept. All the demigods have a heroic concept that they embody. Uh, and for Rikard, Rikard was Lucifer because he's uh, he his group is called what what are they called? It starts with an R. Uh, you know, they have their group of invaders, recusants, I think is what they're called. Um, and so there's someone that they, they object to the rule of the Golden Order. Uh, he rebels against the Golden Order. His thing is a serpent. He's killed by the Serpent Slayer, kind of like St. Michael attacks Lucifer with the with the spear. His area looks like he's in hell. He tortures people that are there. Um, he looks like the king of hell, basically. He's got a Lucifer motif. He's he's the rebellious spirit against a tyrannical order kind of kind of interpretation of that that was popularized probably most popularized in Paradise Lost, and so um, 
I don't, I don't know if that's the origin of it. Um, but it was, it, you know, that's probably what got it most popular. And then, uh, so he's, he's a, he's an archetype that resembles Lucifer. So I could easily see the heroic concept of Mesmer being something like, uh, Longillus, whatever his name is, uh, uh, stabbing Jesus in the, in the chest. I could see that. It's, it's some friggin' really weird stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but it is it is interesting that, you know, to actually look at all of the bases and all of this stuff when it comes to all of this Elden Ring lore and whatnot. You've said it yourself that you've always felt like the lore of Elden Ring. I, I know that you've said this. It was kind of like incomplete because you weren't able to connect all of the pieces properly. Do you yeah. think that uh, the DLC is going to fix that somehow? Oh, oh boy, do I. Okay, people don't understand what I mean when I say that, because I'll say that, and then people are like, oh, this guy's just stupid. The answers are known. It is known. All the th Everybody knows all the answers. Everybody. No, it's, you don't know. You don't know shit. It's, it's funny, because <laughs> even Miyazaki says, like, I make these games purposefully in a way where people can derive their own stories out of them. That's the reason why stuff is so loosely, you know, yeah, narrated. He, made, he wants That's, you to interpret. Yeah, he, he wants, wants you to interpret the stuff. So it's not even like there's it's meant there there's going to be an accepted standard lore that everybody needs to adhere to. Even though I feel like most most people probably just oh I just watched the the Vati video video the Vati whatever videos. whatever he says is right. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I'm saying that's a lot of times while there will be facts, a lot of it is also interpretation. My my, my issue is that people will see my videos or, or they won't they won't look at my past dark souls work um and so they're like oh it's a it's a commentary on order and chaos and and, and it's like you have not seen my videos i know about the commentary on order and chaos um that's not what this is it's not as simple as it was in dark souls one two or three he's doing something differently i don't believe that this is just oh this is uh about humans relationship with order and lineage and and um and what happens with it, with its lack and in its in its degradation? No, no. Go look at my other videos, and you'll see that I have a, a good understanding of those kinds of themes. I think that that's what's going on in Dark Souls. I think that's more complicated here, <laughs> and I probably yeah. will make a video talking about that later. I mean, there's going to be so much uh, so much stuff to do content on even before the um, even before the DLC comes out that I think. People are in for a good time if you're fans of Elden Ring. Oh yeah, the views, the uh, <laughs> Elden Ring views again. Good stuff. <laughs> Look like views are back on the menu, boys. I... <laughs> That's not what I was talking about, but all right. <laughs> Elden Ring is it, the Earth Tree is a money tree, is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap, dude! Oh man. <sighs> but yeah, I mean. That's pretty much all I have when it comes to the, the topic of Elden Ring for now. I still need to look at the um, interviews with a lot more detail because, again, mm -hmm. I've been full research mode all morning and I'm still not even close to being done. Still working on my own video that I want to do uh, about this whole thing. Do you have anything else that you'd like to add about Elden Ring at this point that we haven't talked about? I think that the Zelda people are going to migrate to Elden Ring lore. Because Zelda lore in Tears of the Kingdom, as I've made in a video, is kind of disappointing. And most of the Zelda YouTubers are lore people. Uh, it's not like in, in other communities where the biggest YouTubers are 
diverse. The biggest YouTubers are all exclusively lore people in Zelda community, and the lore has dried up. There's nothing left for them to go examining there in Tears of the Kingdom space. Uh, they're all going to migrate to Elden Ring and uh, try and take my slice of the Erd pie. That's my stand. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. God damn. <laughs> you're, you're firmly planting your feet in the ground. That that reminds me of a much younger me back in the day with uh, Epic Namebro. And the first time I saw one of his videos and I was like, why does he have more views than me? My videos are better. <laughs> <laughs> when they weren't, but that doesn't matter. Right. right. <laughs> You know, but that that's what that was your that's what you're reminding me of right now. There's like, no, this is my playground. You don't get to bring your ball to my playground and play here. Uh-uh. No, I'm just kidding. I, I welcome yeah. all the Zelda people that I'm sure is gonna come. I think that I know a couple that I that uh I had on my podcast that are intending to come. So i I might it'd be fun if they get into into here and then we can have a podcast. Um that's not Zelda related. It's like, hey, you've broken into this this space. Congrats. Yeah. Well, welcome, welcome to my house now. Yeah. <laughs> You're yeah. playing by my rules. Get ready. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna learn so much. But yeah, I, I think there's a possibility for that. The the thing is, I don't think that it's not that the lore dried up. I just think that the story of Tears of the Kingdom is much more explicit and there's less to interpret meaning from, so to speak. Uh, yes, but I also think that the lore did dry up. Uh, like, I, I follow what, what these guys are doing, and it seems like every two weeks, there's another podcast between a bunch of the larger creators, and they're like, what happened? Where's our views? <laughs> oh, the... damn. Uh, See, that's... They'll, and, and, they'll, and they'll complain about the lore and how, and how the story sucks and, and how it's inconsistent. And there'll be, like, one guy defending it, but, like, it's like a universally seen thing that, yeah, Tears of the Kingdom is, in lore-wise, lore is disappointing but see, that's it, the... for, for a variety of reasons. That's the problem with having a channel that just does one thing. Mm -hmm. That's the problem. Like, for instance... I can make content on so many different things right now. If I wanted to, I could be making content on Last Epoch, which I played yesterday. I, I need to do stuff talking about the demo of Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. I'd naturally also want to keep talking about Elden Ring and Monster Hunter and all of these things that are kind of like my mainstays in my channel. But it's great to just have diversity because that way I can just do whatever the hell I want and I never have do to do whatever be like, you want. Mm -hmm. I, I never have to get to that point where I'm like, oh no there's nothing to talk about in Elden Ring or there's nothing to talk about in Monster Hunter. I must squeeze blood from this stone. It's like, no, let's play another game. I'll, I'll just go play Pal World. Pal World's fun. Yeah. Playing Shrouded, that's fun too. It's like it's so many good games. That's the thing. And, you know, maybe that way people wouldn't just be upset whenever their main game dries up. I understand that just having one game makes it a lot easier in the YouTube space. But, mm -hmm. you know... It, it also makes it a lot more taxing from a mental standpoint. What, what so. I would say to people that have only been in one lane and are trying to go into multiple lanes is that uh, do it, and but you're, you're going to take a hit to yeah. the views initially uh, while the algorithm gets used to what you're doing. I, I took big hits every time I transitioned yep. uh, from one game to another, and then... I stopped taking those hits eventually, you know, like eventually it seemed like YouTube just understood what my channel was about and I can just like, do whatever look, and I don't take as much of a hit anymore. Look at a, a recent example for your channel. You've covered something that probably most people wouldn't expect. You're doing guides for Helldivers 2. 
Yeah. Like that doesn't say you're you're sitting there, oh I'm I do Souls Likes and Monster Hunter. And now we're gonna mm -hmm. talk about Helldivers 2 and Earth Defense Force <laughs> and all of yeah. these crazy things. And it worked. And they out. did fine. Yeah. Yeah, they did fine. It's just it's just you are going to take some hits initially. Like for instance, I also did a guide for Helldivers 2, which is my beginner's guide. That thing's got like almost 130,000 views by now. And I was like, yeah, that, yeah. That's, that sounds really good. I'm very happy about that video. <laughs> it's also that Helldivers 2 blew up in a huge and unexpected way. True, true. <laughs> I mean, but when I did that video, it wasn't that big of a deal. I wasn't really expecting that, to be honest. But I guess I guess that's our natural segue into uh, Helldivers 2. What an absolutely amazing title that I did not expect to be nearly as good as it was. Yeah, I was shook. Like, I, I, I was talking about Helldivers 2 before I made a video of upcoming games that I was anticipating. Um, but I was not seeing, like, this level of success. I didn't think it was going to explode to this much popularity. I go to, to my my Steam friends, and I see, like, everybody's on Helldivers. Helldivers 2. Helldivers 2. Helldivers 2. <laughs> it's absolutely insane, because their first game, I think, kept out at, like, 7,000 to 10,000 concurrents or something like that. And mm -hmm. I'm actually checking the Steam charts right now. Today is the 22nd of February. Let me look here. <laughs> Good Lord. So the, just seconds ago, 209,000 people yeah. with a 24-hour peak of 444,000 people with an all-time peak of 457,000. And we're yeah. talking about a game that right now you are struggling to play. You can't. You can't get in. You yeah. can't play it because. It, okay, so they upped the cap to four hundred fifty thousand, and I find it funny that that's that's how many are. That's the all-time limit of yep. concurrent players, because that means more people want to play at once than that. They just can't. They. Just, it would have been higher than that. They just can't get in. It's like, <laughs> hey, how many people can can your servers take? Oh, they can take four hundred fifty thousand. Okay, we're gonna need some more. We're going to need more, yeah. That, 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 that's not enough. But at the end of the day, this is also a huge problem because we've seen a lot of games launch. And because of these server problems, they lose popularity super fast. It yeah. hasn't really been the case with Helldivers 2 because people still appear to be super psyched to play the game and whatnot. And some people actually are able to get in. Like the other day I was trying to play at night, which is actually my nighttime is like America prime time. Uh, so the, the points at which there's going to be a lot of people. And I just sat in the queue, I think for like, I mean, it's not a queue. It just like keeps trying to log you in every minute or whatever. But I just sat in there, I think for like 30 minutes and it took me in and I was like, oh, great. I can play now. So I played a little bit and then I was like, okay, I'm good. The, the thing is, there's also people now squatting in there, which yeah. is, it's, it's really bad. We see this a lot in MMORPGs. People just start squatting. And it's it's a bad experience for everybody involved. But the server problems are going to hurt them a lot. Like a recent example is, I don't know if you've uh, you've played Wayfinders. I'm assuming not. It doesn't seem like it's your no. kind of game. But no. I, played, I played Wayfinder. When that game came out, it made it all the way to like the third of the, the top Steam games at the time. And it was insane. Everybody wanted to play it. The servers exploded. Nobody could play. You couldn't even like sit in queue because the queue would crash and stuff. And like there were all of these problems. It died in popularity within like the space of two weeks and nobody wanted to play it anymore. It was, it was really bad. I was super sad because the game's a ton of fun. 
I don't blame the developers for the problems that they're dealing with because yeah, how were they going to know that they're, you know, the sequel to their 7,000 cap game, uh, <laughs> a player cap all time high was going to hit 200,000, 300,000, 400,000. How are they going to know? They gave, they gave what was the original cap 250,000, something like that. And that's like destiny numbers. Like, how did they know <laughs> that, that, that they were going to get destiny numbers and higher and higher than destiny numbers, uh, day one, <laughs> day two, day three, week after <laughs> two weeks. <laughs> it's, it's insane. And I think, um, a big part of it ended up being like, I, I think a, one, one of the hugest parts of why this game is so successful is that the gunplay is God tier. It's the best. Oh man. So good. Like usually when I'm talking about gunplay in, in a third person shooter, one of the things that instantly comes to mind is like uncharted uncharted has phenomenal gunplay it's from naughty dog same people also do the last of us last of us also has phenomenal gunplay regardless of you know the issues with the story of last of us 2 and all that stuff the gunplay is really good and i would say hell divers 2 is better, better than uncharted and the last of us gunplay which is impressive because that's some of the best third person gunplay that i've ever experienced i think when it comes to first person destiny has my favorite type of of gunplay unfortunately that game is uh ran by a bunch of greedy assholes that just suck <laughs> that absolutely suck and all of you destiny fanboys can seethe and rage all you goddamn want i don't care I don't care about your stupid game, okay? Those I, people I think suck. Destiny fanboys know that they like they know it sucks. Like they, they, I don't even think they they argue. They're like, yeah, they're just addicted. They no, no, they, they do. That's the thing because I was I was I was talking about this in in terms of Helldivers, and some Destiny fanboys came out of the woodwork saying like, oh, the Destiny is is this and Destiny is that, and I was like, bro. Your, your game is infested with FOMO from every possible angle. Every single thing that you can do in that game is monetized to the nth degree. People need a 30-minute YouTube tutorial just to know how to buy your game. <laughs> just to know how to fucking buy it. It's like, you can buy Helldivers 2 $40. It's done. It's done. You, you can earn the credits in the game to buy the battle pass. It's that we easy. Can, we could talk. We could talk about the, the the credits in a bit. But the battle pass, like, here's the thing with with Destiny, uh, the battle pass is it's not even a battle pass. It's is a permanent fixture. Eventually, if you keep playing it, you'll have enough super credits to buy it if you want it, um, and it just stays there forever. Yeah. Destiny won't even keep in-game content there forever. They won't even keep the <laughs> Destiny won't even keep the story that you paid for at launch. You, oh, you paid for the for Forsaken uh, uh, expansion. It's gone. Too bad. <laughs> oh, but you can still buy it, and you can have the weapons that we gave out in that in that uh, thing. But the actual story, it's gone. Is it cheaper? No. <laughs> no. No. You still have you still have to pay for it. Well, so yeah, I don't want to I don't want to get too in, into the weeds with Destiny, but I'm just saying, like, yeah. when it comes to the the gunplay of this game, it is absolutely phenomenal. The detail of the the weight that the weapons have, the weight, the weight of mm -hmm. each weapon, and the way that when you are. Uh, scrolling and the weapon kind of like lags behind a little bit because it's more realistic than you just like oh let me just uh friggin 180 my weapon and fire at this yeah. monster real quick you can't do that you have to can't like do, that. do it a little bit more realistically which really adds to the feeling of weight and meatiness it's yeah it's, the weapons are punchy as hell i love it see i've never i'm not that much of a shooter person um me neither like the best 
the best the best co-op shooter that i played last year was remnant 2 yeah, okay and I, I like the shooting on here even more than that and i loved oh, yeah. i loved remnant 2 um and it, it i had i had never experienced a game that did that thing with the you can look in whatever direction you want fast like you can do that you can just look in that direction but that doesn't mean the barrel of the gun is going to be there the moment that you look in that direction. No, it'll lag behind because it takes the character a moment to aim the big heavy weapons over there. If you're doing it with the light gun, it's basically one to one. Well, it's not one to one, but it's almost one to one. It's very close. The, the mo yeah, the moment that you go and look in that direction, yeah, the barrel's there because, you know, it's a light gun. If you got the auto cannon, it's going to take you a minute to get that big heavy sucker to aim in the direction you wanted to. I, I, I was so impressed with it, with the feeling of weight. Uh... It's just instantly become my favorite. Uh, I think this is going to be co-op game of the year. It's over. Whatever co other co-op uh, titles come out, this is it. I don't see it. I don't see it surpassing this. Damn. Yeah, because it, the thing is, the co-op in this game is not optional, whereas a lot of games, they, they do the thing where, okay, you can, you can play with your friends or you can play by yourself and it's whatever. And usually what that translates to is, hey, if you bring friends, you're going to be way more powerful and you're just going to destroy this thing a lot easier. And in this game, it's more like, if you don't bring friends, you're going to have a bit of a harder time. And in the harder <laughs> difficulties, the game might just straight up not even be playable unless you're god tier at doing everything. Don't miss a single shot. Know exactly which weapons and stratagems you got to be using. Because it's going to get really hard in the in the, yeah. the harder difficulties, and I like that because that allows them to just introduce the co-op mechanics of like people reloading each other and doing all of that stuff. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I. This is a co-op game. Like, you can you can do things by yourself. You can play in the hardest difficulty solo, um, but it doesn't want you to. Uh, you know, it'll even lock you out from rewards. They have those friendship doors that you need two people to open. Yeah, because uh, they both have to touch the the, the touchpad. Like uh, I saw in Reddit, somebody was complaining about that, and then the director comes in and he's like, "No, that's a design choice. This is a co-op game. We're trying to encourage you to play as co-op. Uh, we're not getting rid of those doors. <laughs> get a friend. Yeah, <laughs> put get an a SOS friend. beacon. Get it. You can. You can. When you get to the door, you can put an SOS beacon, and people can come in, and and that'll do it. Um, I mean." If it works, I don't think the, the yeah. Quick is unfortunately, too great right now. <laughs> SOS ain't working that great. That that's that's not a, a particularly good argument. Yeah, <laughs> right. If it worked the way it was supposed to, and and probably eventually will, then yeah, I, I could see that. But it is a. It, it's not like when I, I constantly complain about the co-op in Elden Ring because I, I feel that the co-op in Elden Ring and Dark Souls games is just tacked on. Like you can play co-op, but that's not, yeah. the game's not built around co-op. It's built around a single player experience. And then they just allow you to have people, uh, to come along. The AI isn't built around multiple people. The, the bosses aren't, some bosses aren't built. Most bosses aren't built around multiple people. There are some that you can argue are, but I, I would say like something like Margit, Godric, you know, normal bosses not built around the idea that you're going to be facing it with multiple people. So it's a single player game that you can attack on co-op to. Whereas this is a co-op game yeah. that if you want to, you could play solo. Uh, it's just not going to be too convenient for you. So one of the first things that I want to bring up is the the way that stratagems work. Because I think that for a lot of people, this is a weird thing. And there's probably people coming up with all kinds of ways to circumvent it. Like I saw that Fumito, he got like one of those um, 
one of those voice things. So he can just call in as stratagems as opposed to having to press the buttons to, to do them. Uh, oh, that, that lazy bastard. <laughs> that lazy bastard. I mean, he plays a heavy bow gun. What do you expect? That... <laughs> I'm so, I love you, Fumito. Don't be mad. <laughs> but, it's the truth, though. <laughs> but you know the the interesting thing is I don't know how many people played some of their previous titles like I don't know if you ever played Magicka because these are the same people that made Magicka mm -hmm. no I didn't play it you didn't play it okay so Magicka had a very similar system for casting spells and the way that it worked was that the first night that I ever played Magicka with my friends we all bought Magicka on Steam I don't remember if it was early access or something like that it might have been but we got Magicka and we're all just playing co-op and, you know, we're having a blast killing each other and whatnot because they had friendly fire all the way back then. They're, you know, because that's always been a part of their design. You can kill your friends accidentally. And so we were able to progress through the game up until the point where we unlocked the spell called the Thunderstorm. And at that moment, it basically became a rush to see who got to the Thunderstorm first and casted the thunderstorm because we would all die every time. And I kid you not, we probably spent one hour of all of us just running there, casting thunderstorm, dying, laughing, and repeating. One hour. Just like, the thunderstorm, boom, everybody's dead. <laughs> we couldn't get, get past the game that way. And the game had like these really crazy things that you could do as well as co-op because you could have shields and you could use things that would kind of mirror so somebody could shoot a laser beam at me and i could kind of like make the laser beam go in a different direction or you could shoot a laser beam and murder everybody in your team or somebody could be casting lightning and somebody would cast like a water spell and then the lightning would become aoe and everybody would die as well like there's all of these crazy things they did all of this in magicka and it required a very similar thing to do like the stratagems you would be required to like okay press this combination of buttons to craft this spell as a matter of fact it wasn't even like it was kind of like a combination of elements so like you'd have a certain button for the fire element then you'd have a button for a uh, rock element and then if you would do not rock earth and if you would do like fire fire earth earth that would be a big fireball or something like that or a meteor or whatever right and that's kind of how yeah. it worked and the stratagem system is very reminiscent of that because you go and you go, okay, so for instance, whenever you're plopping down turrets, usually the first button is down. So it goes like yeah. down and then left, right, or whatever. If you call down an airstrike, the first button is up. Yeah, there's a logic to it. Yeah, yeah there's, there's a certain logic to the way that all of these things work, which is, you know, I, I think it's pretty cool. And I like the stratagem system. It just, it feels good. Like, it, it actually just feels good just inputting the code, and then you eventually memorize the, your favorite codes, and you're like, da -da -da, rapidly, get yeah. the thing out and chucking it. And you get, and then you become, like, you become extremely precise in the parabolic arc that you're throwing that uh, those balls, and you know exactly how far away you need to be from your cluster bomb to, so that to get so you get the most number of enemies well, uh, to, to rush about, you. Well, event, you'll get there. <laughs> you'll get there. Yeah, you People say that after you murdered me like ten times that one time that we played together. That was one time, and you did it back to me, and we <laughs> no, failed the mission. I, I, no, because I, I never even unlocked the cluster bomb. You're lying. See, you you killed us with something. Like you you dropped it. Uh, I mean, you dropped a turret and then you were like putting in another stratagem 
and then you dropped that stratagem because your turret shot you and it killed you and then dropped the stratagem <laughs> on the ground and that killed everybody. That was <laughs> napalm. <laughs> see, see, that that was a completely different thing. It wasn't a cluster bomb. It was it wasn't napalm. It was a cluster bomb at all. <laughs> exactly. Why are you lying? <laughs> yeah, but um, but yeah, that that's one of the that's one of the cool things is that it's got friendly fire and i already know there's a lot of people that hate that there's a lot of people that get upset they're like why does this game have friendly fire i want to turn friendly fire off what do we say to those it's even, people we say no exactly <laughs> that's, get <what> good. Get. <laughs> that's very unpatriotic of you sir yeah F friendly fire no is required for democracy, democracy. exactly <laughs> we are investigating your comments for treason Oh my goodness. Uh, some people can't take a joke that from this game. I, I posted a, a video of how to deal with the automatons and on the thumbnail, I, I wrote violent socialist towards the tank because uh, it's an automaton. And, and that's because that's what they're described as in game. You go to the website and you, and the, you know, the, the, the guys describe them as, uh, socialist by socialist violence. Yeah. Um, uh, so I'm making a joke. I did the same thing with the bugs and said, bugs hate freedom, you know, a little arrow pointing towards it. Uh, and then I got a, an essay by a guy talking about how, how uh, I don't know anything about socialism. I'm confusing socialism with communism. Uh, you, you Trump stands. People, and I'm like, do you, bro, did you play this game? Like, do you know what you're, what game? You're, I'm just making a comment on the, for a funny thumbnail. And you got this whole thing uh, going. I was like, and it's not just one guy. It's a, I, I go to Reddit and someone by name was like, I was very disappointed in Reddit Oscar for putting violent socialist on the thumbnail. The, the, the uh, thing is, people don't understand that this is a joke. The, the, the yeah. satire completely flies over their head. Like I, I featured a comment on X as well, where somebody went to my YouTube video and started saying like, this game creates Nazi, Nazi extremists or whatever. And I was like, are you insane? Like, is there something, there's something wrong with you. Like, I'm sorry, bro. I, I don't know what to tell you. That's, that's some crazy talk. Like Nazi uh, extremism. Like what? I just, you know, I don't, I don't, whatever we, we can move on. I just yeah. think it's, I think it's dumb. Um, I do want to give a little criticism, uh, towards the game because I don't recommend people buy it right now. And in fact, I think yep. to, to the CEO's credit, he said that, you know, if, you, if you're if you hurting on money, you should wait to buy it, buy has, it later if, if you're it, interested yeah. in. Um, and, and I, you know, that's, that's good. That's noble. I appreciate that he said that because seriously, I'm having more problems than most people trying to get into this game. Uh, I cannot go in, in less than an hour uh, sitting in the, in the screen trying to get in. Yeah. It's really hard to make content for it because I'm like, okay, what content am I going to put in the background? This, this, this loading screen. Not, not to <laughs> mention that. Timer. That also, uh, then they're also kind of like passes on to the community where I still get uh, a bunch of comments in my guide video because it's my most popular Helldivers two video, and it's just people saying, "Oh, I was hoping I could figure out a way to log into the game in this video," and I was like, because my video says new <laughs> players start here, so new players can't log into the game right now." So they go to my video. And it's like, "I thought you were going to tell me how to log in." <laughs> it's like I think some people even write that unironically, and it's like, "Oh, this yeah." Sucks. And that's the thing. I think it it really sucks that this is a problem for them. 
because this game is so popular for the right reasons, right? Because a lot of the times when you have live service games, and especially when you hear something like, oh, Sony is working on 20, I don't think it was 10, I think it was like 12 or whatever, but let's say 20 live service games, and you're like, bro, nobody has time for 20 live service games. You're <laughs> insane. There's something wrong with you. But then the first live service game comes out, which is this. And I'm just like, no, this this is actually really good. Why? Because it's an affordable price. Shows you that people just want a game that they can afford and they can play and have a good time with. It's just $40. Uh, then it is very much pro-consumer because you, unlike other games, this isn't monetized up the ass, chuck full of FOMO. Because the war bonds don't expire. You just buy the war bond whenever you want, work on it whenever you want, and it's whatever. And supposedly there's going to be a, like a new war bond every month or whatever. Every month, I, yeah. I think I saw that in your video. And yeah. it's that is really cool because people are just going to be getting the content and you can farm it. You even Again, you made a video how people can go farm super credits super fast. Uh, and... You know, you can you can farm the super credits, you can get the war bond, so it's very much uh, pro user. People ask, "Is the game pay to win?" And my answer to that is yes, but not to a level that it bothers me. And because my I'm, I'm really I'm really proud of that. Yes, I was like, "Wow, yeah, that's a you know, good job." That it's yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, because, because that, I know what that, you mean. Because that's the thing. Because because people always like to whenever oh whenever it's a game that I like, it can't be pay to win because I like the game and I wouldn't like a pay to win game. No, probably a lot of the live service games that you play are pay to win in some respect. You just got to be able to say, yeah, it is pay to win, but is it pay to win to a level that bothers me? Which it is not. It is not even remotely close. Like a pay to win that would bother me would be like, oh, you can buy this gun and it deals more damage. But the premium gun that you buy, by all respects, I mean, you don't even buy the gun. You buy the, the war pass, whatever. I've used yeah. that gun. That's the gun that I've used the most. I don't think it's that powerful. Yeah, I don't think I don't it's overpowered. I think, it's stronger than what you, I, I, I think maybe the last one in the pass might be really powerful, but I haven't gotten there yet. So even though I have the pass, I haven't even grinded yeah. enough to get the final weapon, but I'm close. But all of the weapons up until that point, they're not more powerful than the weapons that you have access to by just playing the yep. game. So yep. it's just a different weapon. I, I do have concerns with, with it and how, especially it's monthly, but we'll talk about that in, in a second. I want to like hammer down on the, my yeah, recommendation go, go not, ahead. To, not to buy it. Um, you know, it's just it doesn't. It, it's logical not to buy it because you're gonna you're gonna struggle to get in. Yeah. Like uh, a lot of people will say, "No, I get in right right away." Well, I don't. You know, I yeah. <laughs> I can only speak to my experience. I don't get in right away. Uh, it's, it's miserable because I'm trying I'm trying to I'm trying to game and I have limited sections of time where I can just play um, and record footage especially, or not even especially record footage just to play. Especially because you need you need to coordinate with friends to have a good time yeah. in this game. Yeah. Uh, and if I want to stream with somebody, like, uh, and then everybody needs to get in. So I was like, okay, try and get in like an hour beforehand. And I had a, I had a, a streamer buddy in uh, me. We we're going to play together, and he was trying to get in an hour and a half beforehand, and he couldn't get in until we. I had to uh, start the stream, and we, I was just waiting around the ship for him to get in, and it was another 20, 30 minutes while while uh, he finally caught on. So it's it's annoying. Yeah. From from that, I guess a business standpoint, but it's also it's just annoying because I want to play the game. I just want to play the game, and I can't when yeah. I want to. Um, if you're like, it's not just someone like me that's a that's a content creator. Like think think about some guy that you know works ten hour shift. He spent his money on this game. He doesn't he doesn't 
follow internet discourse as as closely as the rest of us. He doesn't know that he can't get in. He buys the game expecting the product to work. He goes in and the product doesn't work and he has two hours before he has to go to bed <laughs> and yeah. get ready for the next day. No, that's not acceptable. I would really recommend that people wait uh, because this is the worst version of the game. They they're not, they are adding mechs relatively soon. They said soon after release. They're adding they're they're sure to fix this problem at some point. Uh, and there's you know there might be a third faction. They're going to add a, sh a a whole lot of more content in the future. So this is the worst version of the game as as fun as it is. I would recommend waiting. Yeah, a hundred percent. No, I agree. I, I definitely agree. As a matter of fact, I I haven't even been playing it that much. Like I said, I logged in the other day, waited for half an hour, but it's like I'm not going to be doing that every day. Like I've we discussed earlier in the podcast, I have so many games that I want to play that to me, it doesn't make me too much of a difference to wait. So I'll just be like, oh, I'll just wait. It's whatever. It's not a big deal once they get this stuff right. But I still want to play the game when stuff gets better for sure. Yeah. Uh, but another, another thing that I would like to bring up with this is the evolving storyline because due to the way that their servers are working, this has also been very much negatively affected which is, for people that aren't aware, the way that this game is going to work is the storyline is going to evolve. And to me, when it comes to a live service game, these guys are probably doing... I mean, assuming that everything worked, right? Assuming that their game was working and all of that stuff and the servers weren't completely exploding due to overpopulation and all of that, the design philosophy that they have for the way that this game is going to work is some of the best when it comes to a live service game. Because usually, when you look at a live service game, like say an MMORPG or something like that, like say, you want to go in, you want to go play Final Fantasy XIV. We can't play Final Fantasy XIV together. I mean, we can, but it's mostly me like, okay, I'm going to nerf myself to the nth degree, I'm going to come in your dungeon, and I'm going to pull wall to wall every single mob in there into the boss, then I'm going to kill them all at the same time while you're still running there. You're still just like <laughs> looking around, trying to figure out what's going on. Meantime, I'm tanking the boss and 50 mobs and killing everything by myself. Because that's something that you can do in Final Fantasy. Even though as much as they nerf you, you're still crazy powerful uh, in, in a lot of situations when you're going through dungeons. And that's kind of like the co-op experience until you're like 300 hours into the game when you're at the... <laughs> When you're, I'm not even exaggerating. If anything, it might even be like an underestimation, assuming that you actually see all of the cutscenes and experience the story right. at a reasonable pace. So it's like 300 hours later, we can go do current content, okay? And that's the way that it works. In Helldivers so, 2, even if I have well, 100 hours in the game, you can join in and we can go do the same content. Like maybe I'll have to nerf the difficulty a little bit just to get you to progress through some of the difficulties and whatnot. But very quickly, you'll be caught up. And at the end of the day, it's mostly so that you can get skill, not necessarily so that you can get gear. Gear, yeah. Because there, there is ways to deal with even the harder stuff if you're low level. Like you won't be yeah. as effective if you don't have access to all the cool stratagems and all the cool um, artillery like, strikes. But, but like, you can deal instance, with it. Like, for instance, let's, you can put contribute. A, let's put it like this. You're a level one player. I'm like, I don't know, level 30, whatever. We're doing like a higher level mission. And I'm just, okay, I'm going to be bringing one of those rover backpacks or one of those shield backpacks or whatever. And I should deploy that. And you pick up the backpack. Yes. Yeah. And you're doing something that is important. 
You know, like the same way that whenever I was playing with uh, my friend Wada, I'm not sure if you noticed, like he brought in the stratagem for the, um, what's it called? The recoilless rifle. rifle. And I would always have the backpack so that whenever we'd have a heavy, I'd go in there and I reload him. And, you know, and I would have like more airstrikes or something like that, right? To deal with other things. So we yeah. would always have that type of advantage, which is amazing. Again, part of the co-op thing. And you can do that straight from level one. And the other thing is, it's not like you have to progress through a set of levels because the levels that are available are always changing depending on how the invasion is going. And it doesn't yeah. affect the difficulty because the difficulty is a separate system. I, I'm very impressed with... I'm not sure how the story is going to develop or if I'm going to think it's good at the end of the day, but I am very impressed with their map variety because each planet seems to have a separate biome and it's not completely separate. Like there'll be, it looks like there's several desert planets, but none of the desert planets that I've seen that are like the same type are exactly the same. Some will have like, oh, this planet has lots of sandstorms. You know, this planet has this problem uh, and they look a little different. So uh, I, I don't think that any, any two planets I've seen so far are just like exactly the same. They, they have a little key difference. And I'm like, there's like a hundred planets here. <laughs> they, they they made differences to all of these planets. It's not just uh, completely reused. Yeah. And the, the thing about that, um, that story, again, we don't know exactly how it's going to pan out, but I love the design philosophy of how they're handling it, which is almost like the, the analogy that they've made is a dungeon master in a Dungeons and Dragons setting, which is, okay, you guys have pushed this threat back so now the automatons are going to come in because that's kind of like what what's mm -hmm. been happening uh right now which is at the beginning they're like oh we need to push the terminids from these planets so that we can you know grant some safety to super earth and we focus so much but at the same time if you notice you could go do missions on the automatons we just mm -hmm. chose to respect the order and push the terminids back and because we did that and we didn't push back the automatons then the automatons advanced forward. But the problem then was the new mission type that they introduced with that isn't working. At least it wasn't. I think it might be working now, but it wasn't working because the servers were broken. So you couldn't actually complete the objective that they wanted, which is, oh, go defend these planets from the automatons. It's like, well, we can't because, you know, the, the rewards aren't contributing when we succeed in the mission. It's not contributing to freeing the planet. It's not working. It's oh. broken. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, that those missions were were really difficult. Like they bu they were bugged, I think, to yeah, be like ridiculously hard. It sent four hulks at a time, <laughs> two tanks, uh, it like it like bunches of bunches of devastators at once. You throw one airstrike, you get 16 kills cuz there's so much stuff on the map. Yep. Um it was crazy. Um I think they fixed it now. The 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 difficulty of those missions. My problem with those missions is that they kind of suck. Uh, it's not, it's not even about them being bugged yeah. or not. I don't like the rescue civilians mission. They're the worst of all their mission types they have. That one sucks the more. I'd, I'd be even better if it was just another variant of the defense mission where it's like, okay, just kill this many things or survive this long. Like, that'd be great. Survive this long and we're going to keep sending waves of stuff after you. I'd be cool with that. But this civilian, push the button, go escort them to the thing, go push the button again. Even yeah, if that, it, was, if it, that was not great. I don't like it. <laughs> and and like the it. thing was, for the, for the defense of the planet, all of the missions in those planets included, well, not missions, all of the operations, which is a set of missions, would include mm -hmm. at least one of those rescue the civilians, which was like, oh, yeah, have to do that. <laughs> it was like, Honey, it's time to go rescue some more civilians. Okay. <laughs>
<laughs> but I think it will be interesting as it evolves because, again, the idea is that the the front line of the war is constantly changing. And if you look at another live service game, for instance, Warframe, in order for you to get up to date with Warframe, because now they're adding all of these open world areas and all of this stuff, and at least the last time that I played Warframe, which, you know, arguably was a couple of years ago, uh, the last time was, okay, there's all of this new content, but before you do that, you got to pay your dues. You got to <laughs> go do 100 hours of this boring-ass content that nobody wants to do anymore, but you have to go do it because you want to play the new content. And I was like, that's th that, no, that's bad. <laughs> that's a terrible idea. What do you mean? And in here, that's not going to happen because the, the front line of the battle is going to change. So, you know, the mission, assuming that this game succeeds, the missions that people are going to be doing next year are going to have nothing to do with the stuff that we've done this year. Right. They're going to right. be completely different. It's going to be because, you know, they're going to assumedly adapt to what the community likes, what the community doesn't like and all that stuff. And they can change it. And because the, the battle is constantly evolving, whenever a new player comes in, they're instantly fighting in the same fight that everybody else, which is great. You just left me with that air. What the hell, dude? I was expecting you to comment I, on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now you made uh, it awkward. <laughs> no, I made it weird. I made it weird. I, I was I was thinking of how to approach like the next topic I want to talk about uh, without sounding. So so without sounding dismissive and ignoring everything that I said. No, go ahead. No, no, no. Yeah, actually, yeah, that's actually. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, know. I think exactly. by, by the so tone that you were saying, I was like, I know what you're doing. That's fine. Go ahead. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, um, do you have any problems with how the super credits work? Do you have any problems at all with, with the um, so, how, how they're deciding to implement Montessin? Because you praised it earlier uh, in comparison to other stuff. So it's like, uh, for starters, I'm not entirely, uh, let's say, impartial here because the version that I was given already comes with the pass. So it's very hard for me to, you know, I can consider not having the pass, but I do have it. So I don't think it would bother me not having the, you know, the first war bond, whatever that you get, the first premium one. I don't think it would bother me that much. I would just go farm the credits. But what it did was I never felt the need to go farm the super credits because I already have this war bond, right? So I don't need to go farm any of that stuff. But even if I didn't have it, I don't think it would bother me that much. And the reason is because it doesn't expire. Because the thing that bothers me with a lot of battle passes is they expire. Like I remember the, the example that I always go down to was the last battle pass I ever bought, which was a long time ago, was in Dauntless. And I like Dauntless. I know that a lot of people are not big fans and, you know, they even post like, ah, oh, traitor, how could you play this game instead of Monster in the World? And it's like, well, because I played... 600 hours or at the time probably like a thousand hours of Monsanto world and then you know i don't want to burn out i'm gonna go play something else and then come back when it feels a little bit fresher because that that's what you do when you're a healthy individual you don't just play the same game until you're red in the face and upset at that it's not fun anymore yeah it's not fun because right. you've played the crap out of it of course it stops being fun after a while but uh but so before it gets to that point I hop on and I try other things. But anyway, on Dauntless, what happened? I bought the, the Battle Pass. And then they had this thing where in order for you to get the credits for the Battle Pass, they would, you know, it would be like um, a random, uh, it would almost like these cards that you would get. And the card would say something like, kill three wind elemental monsters. And I was like, well, I don't want to. Because I'm trying to farm this fire weapon. 
But now the battle pass wants me to go kill this wind monster that doesn't further my objectives in any meaningful way. It's just going right. to be boring. It's going to be busy work, but I have to do it. And why do I have to do it? Because a month from now, this thing expires and I lose everything. The money that I've already spent on this thing is going to go away if I don't do this meaningless chore. And that is the worst thing that you can do to me. Diablo 4 was the same thing. Because I, I, um, I mistakenly activated the, the battle pass because they had a dark pattern in their stupid game. Which, by the way, I'm never going to touch Diablo 4 again because of that bullshit. But, you know, then I was like, okay, let me try and do this battle pass thing. And it was the most meaningless fucking chores <laughs> that you can imagine. Like, craft three gems. Like, I want to craft three gems! My character's level 10! Or am I going <laughs> to stuff these gems up my ass? What do you want from me? It's stupid. And then the other one's like, <laughs> oh, change the aspect of five pieces of your armor. This is free. You can do this free. But it's like, but why? I don't yeah. want to. It, it looks fine. It, it, it's just one of those things where somebody is telling you, do this. And you're like, even though this is easy to do and I can easily do it, I yeah. don't want to because it's not. Yeah. this is not what I would be doing if I was actually just playing the game. And whenever games have battle passes like this, that they basically want you to do things that are maybe not the thing that you wanted to do when you logged in, that is a bad thing. And then on top of it, if the battle pass expires, you're going to feel pressured to do the thing that you didn't want to do in the first place. <laughs> and that is annoying as hell because it's almost like, bro, I just spent God knows how many hours working on something. And in my case, at least it's usually fun stuff. Like I'm recording a podcast. This is work, but it's fantastic fun. Right. But you know, for other people that maybe have their nine to five or whatever, they get home and then it's like, oh, I want to go do dungeons. And the game is like, craft three gems, change <laughs> the aspect of five pieces of armor, go do this meaningless quest that nobody gives two shits about. And, and when you do stuff like that, and then on top of it, they start feeling the time pressure because the battle pass is like, oh, at the end of the month, battle pass goes away. I've already spent the money. I'm invested. I got to I gotta finish the track of the battle pass. Yeah. It's fucking terrible. And in this game, it's like, no, if I spend, I, how much does it cost, the battle pass? $10, $10 $15? $10. $10. So $10 yeah. For $10, I have the battle pass. I don't even have to actively work on it. It's just there. I don't care. It doesn't bother me because I know that whenever I want to, I can just go do the thing. And the thing about this game is also the only thing that progresses the battle pass is getting medals. How do you get medals? Just play the game. You just play the yeah. game and you get medals. That's it. You, you don't have to specifically go contribute towards the war cause if you don't want to get involved in the story, because it's optional, you don't have to get involved in the story. If you're like, no, I want to go do an ICBM mission because I like to see the freedom nuke blow shit up. <laughs> you can go do that and you can get medals yeah. and you can progress in the, the war bond that's not going to go away. So if they release like five war bonds, you can just be like, whatever. I feel like working on this one today. I'll, I guess I'll get some stuff from this one. So that's the thing. It's the lack of FOMO makes me more invested, which is interesting because technically speaking, FOMO should get you more invested in something. But with me, I feel like it's the other way around. The more FOMO you put in your stuff, the less invested I get because I'm like, I'm never going to be able to do this. I don't have the time. Fuck you. That's it. So, so I, 
So let me let me I just agree. wrap this up. Let me just wrap Go this up. Ahead. So the the short answer to your question, it doesn't bother me. At least I don't think it doesn't it does. bother you. <laughs> okay. So I'm, I I think I'm a little unusual because um everybody says that. Like no nobody's bothered, nobody nobody cares. Everybody thinks it's great. It's like, but like when they talk about it, they talk, they do what you just did, and then you compare it to other terrible systems. And I don't have true much of I don't have familiarity with a whole bunch of battle pass stuff or monetization because I just don't play those kinds of games typically. I don't even even the ones that apparently are good. Like this is the really the first time I've ever really looked at at monetization and seen it like it's ugly face. And because this is my first, I have I have no immunity to it. Everybody's like, oh, this is great. This is monetization does right. And I'm like. Why do I have to pay ten dollars to have access to unique weapons? Like, like, if Monster Hunter did something like this, people would be and losing their shit. And that's why I think it's pay to win. Right, right. And so, yeah, the weapons that currently are available right now uh, aren't stronger than the other alternatives that you have. But surely they knew that. Are you telling me that these war bonds coming in month after month, they're going to be like ten dollars or more because they've said that they're the, the price will vary depending on what's in the battle pass? Um, you're telling me that month after month after month after month, there's never going to be a weapon that's better I mean, than the not paid alternatives. This uh, is this is one of the reasons why I uh, I add the asterisk of I haven't played the last weapon yet, and the reason why yeah. that's important is because the first set of weapons in the premium war bond are light armor penetration. The mm -hmm. last one is medium armor penetration. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what that means. Does that mean that that last shotgun, I can just go up to like a heavy and blast him with the shotgun without having to use like an auto cannon or uh, a recoilless rifle or something like that? Because at that point, I'm like, I'm not as comfortable with it anymore. <laughs> I, don't think it'll be, I don't think you'll be able to get through the front of a heavy with that. But uh, so the, the, the penetrating thing means that like the back of tanks that has the weak point, you can hit that now with that gun, whereas before it would have bounced off even the weak point. Wouldn't have been able to hit the weak point of the tank. Okay. Uh, the, the turrets, it'll you'll be able to hit the back of the charger, not the front of the charger. Uh, and but you can the shoot leg. the back. You can shoot the back of the charger with other weapons as well. Like you can shoot the back of the charger yes. with anything. Yeah, but I, I'm meaning that I think you can hit the back leg with it the way that you do with the auto rifle, and that and that will. Uh, I think it has the same penetration as the uh, anti-material rifle. That's what I. That's what okay. I think it means. So, so um, yeah, that, that, that's kind of like the asterisk that I would put to all that. But again, like I said, since my stance from the beginning is it is pay to win, it's just not enough to bother me. It's not right. like it's not like it's, it doesn't uh, bother it's gonna, me either. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't bother me either. Um, I'm just concerned for the future because they yeah. said in their Q&A that they would be willing to put stratagems behind either the superstore that, that or the war bond. That is a problem. That is a huge yeah. If it's a war bond that you have to buy and there's stratagems yeah. in there. That and you're telling me that the strat, I, I'm going to lose. It. So the mechs are coming, and that's what I'm most excited. I'm a mech guy. If I can play in a big hole, exactly that mech that they showed in the trailer. If I can play in a big American diesel fueled, hunky, slow, clunky mech, that's what all I want in video games. That's all I've ever cared about. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care if it sucks. I'll make it work. I'll make it be good, even if I'm the only person on the I planet mean, that, can, remember, that can use it. I remember doing that in EDF, and all of my friends are like, mm -hmm. that mech is stupid, and it's slow. Yeah. Why would you do that? And I was like, because I have a mech, and you don't. Because I have a mech, and you Yeah, I love the mechs <laughs> in EDF. It was, it, was the mech, it was the mech and the helicopter. I love the helicopter, too. And my friends are like, the helicopter is stupid, and I was, but I'm flying, <laughs> and you're walking. 
and you're I don't walking. Care. <laughs> <laughs> um, if they put the mechs in in a superstore or the battle pass, uh, I'm going to be yeah. upset about that. That that's not good. That's not good. And okay, the battle pass isn't as bad. What about the superstore? I'm good. Okay, you didn't want FOMO. Well, the store rotates. The if store does. My the mech, store does have FOMO. Yes. Yeah, if I don't buy my mech right now, it'll be like next week or or, or until I see it again. And I don't I don't want it next week. I want it now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kind, that kind is, of thing. That is that is a problem. But again, that's one of those things where you're judging the game by something that can happen. So for right, now, right. I, I, so for now, gonna... I, I, that's why I haven't made a video on it. I'm yeah. I'm waiting to see uh, the the next battle pass and see how how it's structured uh, in comparison to this one. Uh. The only real issue, and it's just, it's kind of not that much of an issue, but it is a little bit, is that I don't like the method of getting super credits uh, outside of paying. So, like, you can yeah, farm I, super I saw, credits. I saw your video and I was like, oh, this looks boring. I wouldn't want to do it's, this. It's incredibly boring, but the method in my video, I think, is the most efficient way. It's 200 super credits an hour if you do it that way. Um, that'll, be five hours. that'll be five that'll hours, be five on, hours on the best possible yeah. thing, five hours to grind for the pass. Yeah, and nobody was. I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that, especially when you consider that, like, if you work for an hour, even if you work for minimum wage, you you can yeah. buy the battle pass by working for an hour, uh, even if True. you have a shitty job. Uh, and so, like, you can spend five hours farming or one hour extra hour at work working. Uh, and so it's like, yeah, you, you know which one's the most efficient option <laughs> uh, to of your time. And it's like, okay, but you don't have to farm in the way that you do. People will tell me you can just play the game normally, and over the course of a month, you'll make the uh, $10 worth of super credits to, to buy next month's battle pass. And that's true. But if you're playing the game at the highest difficulty, you're not getting anywhere near like 200 yeah. credits an hour. Yeah. Like if you're playing, if you're playing the game at the highest difficulty that you can play, like not even the highest difficulty that exists, the highest difficulty that you and your friends are able to clear consistently, even those you might see a little shiny, and you have to make an executive decision. Like maybe you've gone through it. You're like, you know, we have five lives left between all four of us or something. Maybe I don't want to go that shiny because those robots might call in more robots and it'll turn into one of those situations where it's like an endless waves of uh, of them uh, summoning more and more robots. Um, and so you might not want to do it. And even if I, I swear to God, I was playing, I have it on stream three and a half hours with friends and we were doing well. We were clearing all the side objectives. We just sweeped the map got all of the optional objectives that we can find 10 super credits for three and a half hours of, of playing. It's just, if yeah, you're just on, playing on the, normally on the higher difficulties get... on the higher difficulties, it doesn't, uh, the, the, the rewards are, I, I feel like the rewards are not proportional. I just think that they should include it not as, as just part of side objectives because then the difficulty doesn't affect them. The, the, the every other reward in the game is re uh, increased by doing it at higher difficulty. Not so with super credits. You don't find them at a higher rate. They don't give them to you at the end uh, for clearing the mission. If they gave you a small amount for clearing a mission, or they gave you a percentage chance to get them at the end of a mission instead of having to go to side object, because really, the method of getting super credits is the most boring thing in the game. The most boring thing in the game. It's not terribly boring, but the most boring thing in the game is walking over to one of the little uh, ships that that crashed or or into a bunker and clear, clearing out the enemies there, uh, dealing with whatever reinforcements come, and then opening up the chest for 100 requisition slips or a, or a, a yep. medal or a, or a super credits. That's the worst part. And that's what's tied to 
the premium currency. Nobody wants to do that. Tie it to something more fun if you're going to do it this way. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree that you're, you're 100% correct. Uh, and, and I also think that on higher difficulties, you should get more reward. Because for instance, right, why would you ever play on difficulty three? It's a yeah. waste of your time. You should never, ever, ever play on difficulty three unless you are uh, gearing up to play for difficulty four. That's it. Mm -hmm. You play on difficulty three so that you can advance to difficulty four. And if people don't understand why I'm saying this, it is because difficulty one, two, and three all give common samples, right? One also gives common samples, right? There's no difficulty that yes. doesn't give common samples. Okay. Yeah, everything so, gives common samples. So common samples is one of the weaker forms of currency, even though you need a ton of them. Uh, and then from common samples, you, you'll also need to get rare samples. But rare samples only get introduced in difficulty four. So if you want to efficiently farm the game, it's like there's no reason to play difficulties two and three. It's, you know, because stuff just gets harder for no reason. Like maybe you'll get a little bit more EXP, but that's not really a big motivation. So you're either playing one or you're playing four. And then once you get the four... You don't really want to play, I, don't, I think 5 and 6 also don't give the next tier. So you probably want to skip from 4 all the way to like 7. Or whichever one <laughs> happens to be the one that gives you the epic samples. Because yeah. again, if you're farming in any of the other tiers, you're just kind of like wasting your time a little bit because you're not getting better rewards for it. That is a problem. So they need to introduce something there that will benefit you more potentially for playing those other difficulties. But again, I haven't played enough of the game to super comment on that because you haven't been able to really play the game to begin with. So, <laughs> like, I want to play more, but I'm not going to sit in queue for half an hour when there are a lot of other things to play. Yeah, I don't know if it does work this way, but if it doesn't, uh, you should get rare samples at, at 4, 5, and 6, but uh increase the amount of rare samples that maybe you see uh higher that that closer you are to the max medium difficulty so six is the max medium difficulty there should be more rare samples there than there are in five in or in four five or four yeah i agree yeah but I, I don't think it works that way i'm pretty sure it doesn't so... i haven't i haven't even looked at it because i can't play i <laughs> <laughs> just want to play they need to figure out their server problems man crap but anyway, uh, that is pretty much all of the topics that I had for today, unless you have any more comments regarding Helldivers 2. No, I think we covered everything I want to talk about. Yeah, so good news all around if you are enjoying games. Uh, I'll be trying to put out an Elden Ring video probably at some time. I don't know, tomorrow, Saturday or something. I don't know. I don't want to commit. He'll figure it out. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of stuff for me to still go over, and yeah. Tons and tons and tons of stuff. And people will also be able to find plenty of more Elden Ring and Helldivers 2 content on your channel. And I'm assuming Final Fantasy VII Rebirth as well, because I'm assuming you're going to be playing that. Uh, yes, I will be playing it. I'm not sure I'm going to make too much content for it. Hmm. We shall see. It's, it's looking we'll pretty see. good from what I've played in the demo. I really I really liked it. Had a good time. Challenging, it just seems like it, challenging boss fights in there. It seems like the kind of thing that maybe I'll just play. play uh, for the sake of playing, yeah. Yeah, just just play it uh, as a little break before uh, Dragon's Dogma comes out. It's it's a it's a good thing to have those types of games too, for sure. But anyway, that is going to be it for today's podcast. If you guys enjoyed it, remember there's going to be links to Ratatoska stuff in the description down below. Uh, hit the like button, subscribe, bell notification icon, and all of that jazz. Thank you all very much for watching. Thank you, sir, for making the time to be here with me. Always happy to.
And we'll see you guys in the next one. Stay strong. Stay safe. Peace out.